Drive All Night is supported by listeners like you. To find out how you can help, please visit patreon.com slash songsoftoriamus. There you'll learn what exciting rewards we're offering for your support. Again, that's patreon.com slash songsoftoriamus to help us continue to make high-quality and Torytainment for you. You're listening to Drive All Night, the songs of Tori Amos. We are your hosts. I'm Ephraim Jr. And I'm David Anderson. And on today's episode, we're talking about Little Earthquakes, the 12th track from Tori's first album, Little Earthquakes. David Anderson. Eve. Hi, Eve. It's so nice to see your face. It's nice to see your face. We've recorded everything without faces. So this is very... For the past six months or so, right? Mm-hmm. I've um, missed being able to exchange a knowing glance with you. Well, you, you know, we will share many in this 12-hour day. I want to say hello to everybody out there that is joining us for this first event in Digital Ghosts, which is our very first, I think the first ever online Virtual Tori Amos fan convention. Has it ever been done before, David? It has to be a first. <laughs> I, would, I think we would have heard about it. Yeah, most yeah. likely. Okay. A couple of housekeeping things first. We're, I'm so excited to see all these faces or all these names here. We, you're not on camera for this one, but there's going to be so many events throughout the day where you're going to be on camera because today is about community. Today is about us uh, creating a space for our community because Tori hasn't done anything yet online, live, no streaming shows, no like sneak peek new music. So we have to do it for her, David. Mm-hmm. We are channeling her today. We I'm are channeling her today. waiting to be filled with Toriness. So I can't wait. I think we're live on Facebook right now. I that's why I keep looking over here at the second monitor because I cannot tell if we're live. So just operate under the assumption that the world is watching, David. I always do. Okay. <laughs> we want to say a couple of special thanks, and then we're going to talk about how the how the day is going to work. Um, first of all, we need to say special thank you to Jack Foster. Jack Foster is our love. He's our light, and he's our designer. He's our graphic artist, and he designed all of the wonderful graphics for Digital Ghosts that you've been seeing pop up and around throughout uh, the last couple of weeks. So thanks to Jack Foster. Thanks, um, Jack. That, thanks, Jack. That bumper that you saw at the beginning uh, was designed and put together by Maggie Stillman. Uh, you'll see that a couple of times throughout the afternoon and the evening. Maggie Stillman. So thank you to Maggie Stillman. We'd love to say thank you to our rock, our our backbone, Shasty Mac, without whom we wouldn't be here. I think she birthed us, David. I'm pretty sure she did. <laughs> 
Just I'm sure she'd love that. Can we just can we just do it one second? Oh, these little earth shakequakes. Shakequakes. <laughs> uh, get shade in the wing. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I was trying Doesn't to think. Doesn't take much to rip us into. Pichets. I did not work Pichets. on this ahead of time. I'm sorry. Neither did I. Um, <laughs> and then, of course, we'd like to say thank you to Tori Amos for writing this song that we're going to yeah. talk about today. Yeah. Right? Um, Good job. So let's say, so if you have anything you want to say to us, we I'm not going to be looking at the chat, but I will be looking at the Q&A. There's a little Q&A button at the bottom that you, we're going to utilize the Q&A button throughout this podcast taping. Um, there's going to be a couple of giveaways. There's going to be some live interactive moments with you all. So if you uh, use the Q&A button, we'll see it faster. But we'll, we'll, I guess I'll keep my eye on the chat too. Can you see the chat too, David? I can see, yep. I can see stuff popping up. Um, good, good, good. Okay, so, and then, hi, Douglas. Hi, Emily. Hi, Sarah. There's Shay. Shay called you a dork. I cannot believe that. Me? <laughs> yeah, she said David I is a dork. I never, and by that I mean hundreds of times. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, it takes us usually, what What would you say, like six hours to record an episode? It's a process. Right. <laughs> we gave us a three-hour window of time because, I mean, we want to get it done in two hours. We want, like, we want to be, it's going to be a minute, though. Um, so Elise is here, too. Elise is little earthquakes in my mind. Mm. So I'm so glad to see you, Elise. All right. Shall we get started? Can I comment on what you're wearing? Please Since do. Since I can yeah. see you. Mm-hmm. The, I'm wearing the truth. I'm wearing the yeah. truth. Oh, and the truth hurts. Believe me. <laughs> um, I am representing Team Verb. Oh. I hope there are some of my Team Verbs what? out there. We didn't you even plan this. We d- I've gotten the impression lately that Team Verb is not the more popular team to be on. And I lately? take great... Yeah, I take great pride in that. What's what's that quote from Tori? What did she say? Most people prefer to be buildings than stand out on their own with antlers on as verbs. Something like that. But point being, it's not always easy to be on the right side of history. I am but, glad you can see me because the audio recording would not have picked up that eye roll. I know. <laughs> I felt um, the shock waves across LA, believe me. <laughs> Oh my God, it's getting heated in the chat. Gloria Hawa says, fuck Team Verb. And Douglas Nepper says, Team Verb. I, wait, I saw Glow pop up. Did that actually say, fuck Team yes. Verb? Yes. If I Bring can't count on Glow, language. who can I depend? God uh, damn it. No one. Um, not if you're Team <sighs> Verb. How are you? How's life? How's things? Life is great and it's getting better. I feel like I'm on Oprah's Favorite Things episode today. It is literally all my favorite things. Tori, it's Halloween. Your face. The only thing that would make it better is if we were recording this at the Sizzler Salad Bar. But right. <laughs> we want to talk to the audience. So if remember, if you have any stories about Little Earthquakes, if Little Earthquakes the song means anything to you, and you want to come on and just give us a quick sort of rundown of what it means to you, um, you can type your name uh, in the Q and A section on our Zoom call. Just say I have a little story, or tell us what you want to say. We'll bring you in uh, throughout the show. But if anybody wants to just kind of talk about it now, let us know. Put it in the Q and A, or we'll do it throughout the throughout the episode. When was the first time you heard Little Earthquakes, the song? I wish I could tell you the first time I heard it, but I do have a lot of memories in middle school and high school listening to it on repeat while writing papers. Really? I think there's something kind of like ceremonial. There's like a conjuring element to it. So I don't know. Maybe I thought that would help me conjure up a passing grade. But (laughs) I do not remember the first time I listened to it or heard it. How about you? Um, I remember... 
I the first time I listened to the album, I kind of I liked the album fine. It was fine to me. I didn't connect with it until I got to Me and a Gun, and then I connected with it. And I probably honestly, I, I'm speculating my behavior. I probably went back and listened to Me and a Gun several more times mm. before moving on. But I've I've I look at the song Little Earthquakes as very healing from the Me and a Gun experience. You know, I feel very comforted by the song when it comes on. Whenever she begins those low notes live, I just feel very comforted and like you're right, ceremonial is a great way to describe it because it is kind of like it's like a rumbling. It is like an earthquake. It's like a rumbling mm-hmm. a starting, you know? So it it makes me feel very warm. Yeah. And on that note, you mentioned Me and a Gun. I have to say, to this day, I think the sequencing of Me and a Gun into Little Earthquakes is probably my favorite sequence on a Tori really? album ever. Really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. And I'll say, too, Little Earthquakes is in my top 10. Not top five, but so I don't know if I get a You Go Girl at some point Oliver, for that. But it's Oliver, in my- <laughs> Mark, make a note. We're going to put a You Go Girl. Oliver. <laughs> Go, girl. Okay. I'm going, girl. How many of your top 10 songs appear on this album? Um, at least Little Earthquakes and Mother. Depending on the day, Girl might elbow her way in there, too. But Excellent. at least those two for sure. Yeah. How about you? First, I'm shocked to hear that Precious Things isn't in your top 10. I thought it was just in everyone's top 10. Um, no? No? No. Nope. No. Top 10. No. That's, that's highly competitive. No. <laughs> Something's got to give. Precious things. <laughs> yeah, um, I would say precious things is in my top ten. Probably. Um, yeah, that's probably it in my top ten. No, girl, mm-hmm. girl would if it's not eleven. Yeah, it's yeah, girl and precious things. I feel like we, just like Tori herself, have really come around to girl later in life. As we really? became women, we more yeah. identified or appreciated our girlhood. Perhaps once we found, once we were able to be our own. Yes. Yeah, that's a really good like, point. Mm-hmm, yeah, see. because she really, <laughs> because she didn't used to play it too often, girl, live in the early 90s, but she now played, you know, she played it pretty much all the time on Native Invader, which, and it was amazing. Do so, we have anyone who wants to come on with us? I would love that. Ed Wall asks a question, and he says, how did you laugh in the faces of kings never afraid to burn? David, how did you? Well, you feel the fear and do it anyway. Oh. And you fake it till you make it. Are you having the same experience recording this live, David, that I'm having, which is like how we're, I'm realizing now how many pauses we actually take in re- the real recording. Like, oh. I feel like I can't breathe right now. I know. I'm <laughs> I feel like I got to fill the space. There yeah. may be pauses, people. There may be Vamp. some pauses. Vamp. Vamp, exactly. I have to take fill a the- sip of water. We're going to play this cover by Sean O'Reilly, which we love... Uh, This is from his YouTube. Here we go. And we'll turn off our cameras when we do covers, David. Yeah. 
That was a cover by Sean O'Reilly. We found it on his YouTube page. Shay Steinmeck found it, actually. And we'll link to it in our show notes at songsoftoriamis.com. What'd you think, David? Some beautiful covers out there. That was amazing. Yeah. Yeah, that was beautiful. Um, I love the harp. I love the harp. We're gonna Do you, play this... as a rule, you love the harp? I have a friend who plays the harp. Uh, I was a grad student, and she was an undergrad. Yeah, she played the harp beautifully. I'd never been moved by the harp until I heard her play it. Have you guys um, ever had a trombone harp collaboration? <laughs> no, but now okay. we've, we've, well, now we I'm must. pushing for that. Well, I'll let you know. I'll let you know to come to our first show. This is okay. from WHFS, and we're going to play it now. I'm turning back my camera off. I should have played this right after the cover. Whoops. What is the underlying motive of Little Earthquakes? You mean the whole album? Yeah. It, it sounds like there's a lot of um, anger and uh, resentment in it. Well, there's a bit of that. It's all about self-discovery. And um, instead of going to the gym to work out, which I guess I should because my thighs, you know, could use some help. <laughs> but what I've been trying to do is do some inner work. It's like you stand at the back of your tongue and you dive inside. And... I'll start screaming at people at parties. I would anyway, like years ago. I'd want to kill this babe. I'd feel like, um, you know, why does this person need to be on the planet? And I would have to sit and go, I want to know why I want to kill somebody. I want to know what my motivations for things are. Why am I cowering in the corner? How come I can't speak up? Or why am I so angry? And so I just started with steps and more steps to try and find out my own mind and why I'm thinking the way I'm thinking. And it just it's constant. It just takes a lot of work. It's the keys to the um, subconscious, really. It's going in there and finding out what I'm really saying, not what I, you know, I'm lip servicing to everybody at the dinner table, but what, what I'm really thinking. So that's what this album is about. It's about what I'm really thinking. I'm having an emotional experience getting to the end of this album, you know, really having dived in. When we first started the podcast, the episodes were 15 minutes. They were fangirly. But now that we've really taken a deep dive in, I feel like I've rediscovered Little Earthquakes. Uh, I feel like as an adult, I understand why I was so moved by it. Like I understand it intellectually too, as opposed to just emotionally and hearing her say like, it's about what I'm really thinking. Like, I feel like that's what that album is. It's about what I'm really thinking. Um, And the way she was able to do that and channel that into everyone here and everyone out there, that it felt like it was what we were really thinking is really a phenomenal talent. I agree, and I mean, that's why we're here. But it's wild to me that my relationship with this album is as strong as it was 25 years ago, if not stronger. I think it's actually stronger now. And particularly, like you said, because we've been walking through song by song, it's mm-hmm. really been quite an experience. Can we do it again? Can we yes. just go back to Crucified? Take it from the top. Yeah, everybody knows that by the time we get to the end of the catalog, we're going to start again. Can we talk about that clip that we played for one second, yeah, too? Yeah, please. I am always taken aback when someone refers to Tori's music as angry. Mm -hmm. I just don't, I'm like, okay, once in a while, sure. But to sort of pinpoint that as the, you know, overarching way Mm -hmm. to describe her music seems like so easy to do. And I also don't think it's accurate. To be fair, that girl was probably 12. (laughs) She was projecting her anger onto Tori. Maybe, maybe. Girl, why are you so angry? Um, Why are you so mad? I'm always taken aback when people ask Tori, what's that song about? It's like, (gasps) How is she going to pivot? How is she going to pivot? Yeah, (laughs) she's the mistress of a pivot. 
Little Earthquakes is the 12th track on Little Earthquakes, obviously, with acoustic piano and vocals by Tori Amos, guitar by Steve Caton, bass by Will McGregor, keyboard programming by Eric Ross, Saw by Jake Freeze, which we discovered is Steve Caton, backgrounds, vocals, Eric Ross, Steve Caton, Tori Amos, and Nancy Shanks, Beanie, uh, recorded by Eric Ross, mixed by Paul McKenna, and produced by Tori Amos and Eric Ross. Mm-hmm. What a list. That is a who's who. That list created the who's who of uh, mm-hmm. Tori collaborators. And you have raised an interesting point in the past. This was one of the last songs recorded and added to the album. Mm-hmm. And it's obviously the title track. So we want to know, what was this album called right, before right. she wrote Little Earthquakes? Untitled Tori Amos Project. Yes, my album by Tori. <laughs> right, my first as a solo <laughs> artist. Um, we would like to if take a moment. If anyone has any suggestions or guesses as to what you think the original title was, please or let us know in the chat room. if you want to name it, throw out some names. If, you, if mm-hmm. you feel like you know in your heart what it should be called, like Little Earthquakes just isn't adequate. It should be called Nuns Out in the Yard. <laughs> This was like a placeholder, and now that the child has grown up, she can decide what she wants her name to be. Right. You know she didn't name Tosh for several days. (laughs) Is that true? Yeah, she didn't have a name. I don't think I knew that. Yeah. Um, We would like to take a moment to honor uh, and pay respects to Nancy Shanks and Will McGregor, who have both passed away. Um, We did reach out to Paul McKenna, Eric Ross, uh, and we did talk to Steve Caton about this Jake Freeze. Do you want to read this quote, David, or shall we split it? All right. Jake was a name that me and a couple of friends called each other back in the late 80s. Freeze, in reference to the illegalities sometimes produced by certain arcane implementations of alchemy, you know, was added later. From these curious beginnings, Jay Freeze developed developed into a real-life character and later an alter ego nickname. Jake found this humorous and ultimately gave me his blessing. Turns out there actually is a Jake Freeze, an eccentric and mysterious guy only rumored to exist. He's extremely private and has little patience for the superficial niceties of social norms, you and me both. Known by few, there are those that claim to have made his acquaintance, but none can provide proof. Never actually seen by anyone, though some swear to have been in his immediate immediate vicinity on occasion and privy to some unusual conversations, or should I say riveting monologues, and offering a wide palette of unique and unimagined skills. His credits, a vast gamut ranging from the self-explanatory headless bongos to the the perplexing and frustratingly detail light present, appear on records in which no one can actually remember being in the room with him during tracking or at any other time during the various projects in which he is listed. That is a mouthful. You want to take it from there? Uh, no, I don't even know where you are. Oh, okay. <laughs> You'll have to keep going. Okay. I'm having the experience of what it was like spending time talking with Steve. Yes. Our three-hour interview was actually culled from 24 hours of talking to Steve. Continue, please. At some point, I started to request having his name mentioned wherever and whenever it was warranted. Seems only right since everyone else was being credited. Though it should be noted, in keeping with his character, he never asked me to do it. His moniker is stenciled on many of my cases as I, as I acquired much of my gear from him, though through an agent in which no personal contact was ever made, and is, other than the album credits, the only real proof of him ever actually passing through our shared landscape. Rumor has it he was spotted fairly recently in attendance. Okay, I'm at a... stopping you there. <laughs> okay, thank you. Um, so my vision Jake... is starting to give out. That is like small <laughs> early. It's print. too early. I'm, like, I'm, I'm like zoning out. I need out. my specs. <laughs> He's obviously spinning a yarn. Jake Freeze is whoever, and Jake Freeze is this obviously is him. A so, tall tale. Uh, right. It was dense. It's dense. But that is. But more interestingly than who is Jake Freeze, I want to know what 
like saw what is he playing a saw is he like what is he doing on a saw yeah or it may be you know when he kind of comes up with a term for an effect a guitar effect that appears on the album that oh. sounds like whatever it is maybe he nicknamed yeah. that effect saw yeah yeah you're right um yeah. elise suggests that the working title was just tory <laughs> just tory oh yeah do you like think that. this Jake Freeze story made its way to Mark at some point? And he was like, I want a cool nickname on the <laughs> album. How about Mac Aladdin? Boom. What do you think about that? I think they should collaborate. I really do. Mm-hmm. Um, Little Earthquakes appears first ever on a promo cassette from the United Kingdom in 1991 with a different track listing. The first six songs are the same, followed by Little Earthquakes for side A. Then the next side is China all the way through Me and a Gun with a final track being Flying Dutchman. Isn't that interesting? This is like a glitch in the matrix to me. When I try to imagine a world in which this is the album, I can't. Little Earthquakes smack dab in the middle. No, I can't either. It makes me feel so weird. I could see Flying Dutchman coming after Happy Phantom if you must have it to like align the tape sides, the length. But yeah, no way. Little Earthquakes must end it. That those those bridges and then just that, like release at the mm-hmm. end. This is no. one of those moments where I feel like the right decision was made for sure. And we've talked Agreed. about this. I don't know if it's true or not, but I remember part of the problem, let's say, being that the label did not want anything to compete with the title track in terms of track length. Mm-hmm. So like we only got room for one biggie here. You got to go. And it has Dutchman, to be the title so. one. Yeah, I remember yeah. that. And I guess also at some point in the 90s, 12 was kind of the magic number for tracks mm-hmm. on an album, right? She's I don't even know why. said that when Choir Girl came out. She even said that. Yeah. Like all great rock albums are 12 tracks. Right. So we couldn't have Flying Dutchman and Little Earthquakes. We couldn't have Honey and the wrong band. Right. right. Something had to go. Um, it also appears on the self, uh, you know, it appears as a title track on Little Earthquakes, released in January of 92 and February of 92 in the United States. Uh, we find the song again on the Crucify Limited Edition Live EP box, June 15th, 1992. That's the release date. And it was recorded at the Cambridge Corn Exchange on April 5th, 1992. And that photograph that you see here on our shared screen, and you can also see it on our Instagram, at Songs of Tori Amos, was taken by Michelle Lisen, who... Mm. I mean, that's a gorgeous photograph of all black in those red heels. I love that picture. It is. I think that is capturing the moment the corn mother was born at the corn exchange. (laughs) The corn mother. That's why she's called the corn mother. Great corn mother. Uh, (laughs) um, It also next appears in October of 92 on the Little Earthquakes VHS, which we're going to watch the clip here right now. everybody doing? This is how it really works, you know. We spend hours before you show up figuring this out. That's great. 
I'm glad he came out because his hair looks really great with this light on it. I was telling him earlier, he needs to walk around with his blue light. In the happening? See? Isn't that good? Okay. <laughs> Guess what the first song is? Guess. I reference that more than I should. Um, <laughs> we spent hours before you got here figuring that out. And isn't uh, that happening? You really started to pepper our that, conversations yeah, that with that, isn't that too. Good? Isn't that happening? Uh-huh. So that was uh, that moment on that VHS. I, it really affected me because I'm like, she can handle anything. Yeah, I really looked up to her. Um, it also it next appears on the Australian tour souvenir limited edition promo cassette given away for free with the Little Earthquakes VHS in Australia, and that was in November of 1992. And there's a picture of it. If anyone has it, you're a true collector god, and I want it. Little Earthquakes was then re-released. The album was re-released on heavy vinyl officially in the UK in 99. Did you know that? I did not know that. How heavy was it? 180 gram was called heavy vinyl mm. back then. I'm glad I got a re like a, a image rebranding. <laughs> Fat vinyl. Yeah. Um, to Venus and back. Uh, it was oh it was on to Venus and back on the live disc and that was recorded in Columbus Ohio November 29th 1998 which we'll play later in the show it next appears on a piano in 2006 and nine legs and boots as Clyde Clydera uh, Chicago Boston Buffalo Milwaukee Lawrence Melbourne Houston Boise and Phoenix why do we think this was a Clyde song I mean, we can get into it in a minute, but I think it's about releasing your demons and getting back to yourself. And maybe that's what Clyde was about. Mm -hmm. What do you think? I agree. And I also think Clyde was a version of 1992 Tori. Oh, interesting. And at that point, she couldn't necessarily access that anymore. So Clyde was her way of getting back there. Oh, interesting. I would love to like look at Clyde's set lists with that that thought in mind. Mm. Um, and then it next appears, the last time we see it on any official catalog item is from Live at Montreux, which was a 92 performance released in 2008. And we're going to play it now. Or did you come to listen to music? Because you paid a lot of money, I think. No, really. In command from the get-go. Yeah, and I think Tori was built to be a mom. We can see in that moment. She's like, I got my eyes on my thing. I got my eyes on your thing. What are you doing over there? No. She stops to discipline and then dives right back in. David, do you want me to turn this piano around? I'll turn this piano around. I will turn it around. Um, about this performance, Tori recalls, and this is in the liner notes from the Live at Montreux disc, she says, I'd never had as much experience of being in a band situation as I did as a solo performer. Most of my life, I had been playing piano and making money in small lounges. I used to pay my rent by playing six hours in hotel lounges. You're not used to playing for an attentive audience, but you're used to solo playing. But there's a very different style of playing when you're there to be background music and when you need to pull 2,000 people in. You have to convey an approach. This is my stage. This is my not yours motherfucker and you will know it is mine within two seconds of me walking on a natural but also a seasoned performer always in command as you said do we think that's where she's most comfortable in life 
on stage? Yeah, of course. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Without question. I hope that she's comfortable now everywhere, but probably still most comfortable on stage. Mm. And we misspoke. It does appear one more time in our catalog on From Russia with Love, which was an official recording of the Moscow show in 2010. So, yay. Those are where you can find little earthquakes. They're a plenty. Pick your mm-hmm. version. Pick your signature version. And uh, yeah, they're all there. Should we get into the quotes? Let's quote it. Quote it. Let's take it from What's on Birmingham, December 21st, 1991. Winter solstice. I didn't feel worthy of love, but there's also that element of enjoying the suffering. Some people enjoy suffering. Some enjoy implementing it. And there's the third type who want both. Where would the abuser be if the victim didn't provide the whips? I look back and see I chose to be a victim. I relinquished my power by needing validation from others. It's about not listening to yourself, but to everyone's ideas of how you should be as a person. You have to be able to know yourself to accept what you did. Otherwise, you end up wearing their opinions like jumpers. There has to be a healing process, the ability to laugh at the end of the day. You can crawl inside your pain. It doesn't have to be all throw up. Sometimes I feel uncomfortable. Sometimes I defy people. But my strength is that I can crawl inside my heart. I'm becoming aware of why I feel what I feel. That doesn't mean I'm at peace, but I can accept the turbulence. I'm learning to be a free agent, not other people's victim. I love yeah. that she acknowledges that this is a process mm-hmm. that she's maybe not even in the middle of, but just beginning. Mm-hmm. And this so nicely kind of sums up Tori's work as a whole, I think, even at this point that it's about healing. See, it's not about anger, journalist X. It's about healing. So, <laughs> Teenage caller. I'm, I would be interested in pairing this quote because this is December 91 before she performed it every night for a year. Mm-hmm. Performed the whole album basically every night for a year. So I would be interested in comparing this exact quote with a quote later in 92 to see how she feels about that journey like you're right because this is something maybe she's at the beginning of and she must have come leaps and bounds by the end of a year of playing these songs right like Mm -hmm. a year of that nightly introspection she must have you know there must have been a, a perspective change in some capacity maybe she felt i wonder if she felt like she had maybe grown up or healed a little bit i wonder i would be curious to know this is from the Washington Post, March 22nd, 1992. Do you want to be the reporter or do you want to be Tori Amos? I'll take reporter. Oh. When Why Can't Tori Read stiffed, Amos went back to the lounges but stopped writing. If I had to whore around, why did I, have, why did I do it with this, the thing that I have so treasured? Amos asked herself. She didn't even keep a piano where she lived. And then one night, I went to a friend's house. She had a piano, and as she sat away in the dark, I played for hours. There was a feeling of, who am I without you? Am I anything without you? And then it was like, everything is there because it wants to be. I wasn't talking about the me and a gun experience. I wasn't talking about my religious views. I wasn't talking about how I felt about myself much at all. On the first album, I was trying to defend myself, trying to make myself not so vulnerable. And what happened? I got completely ripped to bits. So then you think, what can happen to me? Get off on something for once in your life. You used to get off when you were four. That playing the piano experience changed everything, right? And we have a quote about that exact same experience. What? was going on in your mind that made you feel, I, I've just got to do this no matter what. I mean, you just said these industry pressures were weighing on you with Why Can't Tori Read. What flipped the switch for you to just come completely in the opposite direction? I remember sitting in a restaurant in West L.A., and I had just played at the airport Marriott that night that I did six times a week. And I'd already made Why Can't Tori Read in it was over. But I was sitting in this restaurant alone, and 
I heard these people talking, and they were talking about me. And the guy sounded like he had been drinking a little. He got a little loud, and he was explaining to this woman um, that, do you see that girl over there? She's the laughing stock of the industry this week. And I put down my fork, and the five-year-old in me that had been the youngest person ever accepted at the Peabody Conservatory Hmm. just said, enough. Enough. This will never happen again. We will wake up with our dignity. And if we have to play at the airport Marriott till we're, you know, a grandmother and have our dignity as a composer, then we will. Mm-hmm. So it was okay if you were going to play the Marriott, but you are going to play your own songs from that point. Yeah. So I, I happened to call a friend because I was wrecked. I was, you know, beside myself that night. Um, and she said, you know, come on over. And uh, she had a piano in her apartment. And she said, why don't you just play something for me? I'm just going to chill out. And so I sat down, because I didn't have a piano in my little apartment. And so I started to play. And I can't remember how long. It could have been a couple hours. And she looked up at me and she said, you know, this is what you have to do. Because this is what you do. And so I rented a piano in the next week, and that was the beginning. And I started writing Little Earthquakes. That was from Sound Opinions, WBEZ, Chicago, December 7th, 2007. Do you think Tori has embraced YKTR more recently and been performing songs from it live because she has enough distance now to really see that she had to have that experience? Yeah. As painful as it was, and that it not only gave birth to Little Earthquakes, but probably her career as a whole, for sure. Yeah. So. Yeah, I think that's a good way of explaining it. Without that, she wouldn't have needed to go back to the piano, you know? Mm-hmm. And she's often said, like, oh, if that record had been successful, it would have been literally the worst thing for me. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, she yeah. didn't say it exactly like that. I'm paraphrasing. I'm paraphrasing. From Billboard, March 28th, 1992, she said, I think the fears and anxieties we hold deep down inside are not always as different as we believe they are. I hope that these songs will enter people's lives and make them realize that they're not alone. Oh. Wish granted... S- so, so important, and that's obviously why we're here, and why it's so important to share your story, mm-hmm. even if you feel like, for whatever reason, it's not worth sharing, or the other people won't relate. They always do, and it makes you feel like you're not alone. So, I think that we found this record to be very universal. You know that we found each other. Honestly, like this community found each other um, back in the '90s when we were touring. Like we found each other. You found your friends. It's just as uh, all because of Tori. Isn't that interesting? Yeah universal but also so personal in the sense that i know we all felt like she was speaking directly to or for us which i think is why we still to this day have ownership of like we all have we all hold it very tightly in our specific ways it still feels like a vulnerable naked thing sometimes yeah you don't want to be looking at the back of the little earthquake cd cover next to your parents david next to your i know your parents (laughs) or your sister lord what are these giant penises don't look nothing look over there Read this from Vox, April 92, please. 
I feel if you talk about the self, it's like a microcosm of wider issues. I know I go into areas which are threatening because it's all about the human psyche and I crawl in. I'm demon hunting, but not to hunt them down. I'm going in to play with them. That's how I find out what I'm made up of. We kind of talked about this in the Crucify episode is that she plays Crucify the song at virtually every opening night of every tour. Um, and I think that's a way of, A, you know, it's a crowd pleaser and it's her big single from her first album. But it's like also, I think, a way of like remembering that it's a process, you know, that she's mm -hmm. still working through it. Like, and she works through it live in the moment. It's not like she's come out on the other side of it. I've healed and like, here's, here's how I reflect. It's like you're, you've, it's constant work. Um, and I think that that's what this is about. That's how I find out what I made up of is in the writing of these songs. It's not just, you know, I'm not telling you what I, what I made of. I'm finding it out as I as I work on the songs, you know, mm -hmm. and I play the songs. I think that's really nice. Yeah. And I love this because to me, it's another way of her saying that she is seeking to kind of transmute shame, I guess. Mm -hmm. And that she doesn't, she calls them demons, but she says, I'm not hunting them down or trying to eradicate them, I guess, but I'm going to play with them because Tori has always been about embracing all aspects yeah. of self. Yeah. Right. So yeah. The shadow side, like, yes, mm -hmm. absolutely. From Music 92, why don't you take this one, David? This is May 92. It's an Australian, I think it's an Australian radio station. It took going so far away from being brave. I became such a coward with self-expression. I wouldn't talk about anything that was really going on. I would cloak it in many ways. I'm not being hard on myself when I say that, because for so many of us, that's part of our education. And you have to think about what those messages mean, because the disease goes on and on from father to son, mother to daughter. The disease is repression of expression. Whether it's just, no, I never felt that way, or yeah, that did hurt me, or yeah, that did piss me off because you were really trying to control my life. But what really pissed me off more was I allowed it to happen. And then you have to go buy yourself an ice cream cone and say, so what? And have a giggle. And I have a lot of giggles on this record because you can't have real sadness without having fun too. Or the sadness doesn't mean anything. Does she have a lot of giggles on this record though? <laughs> I, I know two strong giggles. Okay. Happy Phantom and... Leather. Leather. Yeah. Those are fun giggles. Yeah. Maybe more of a chuckle yeah. than a giggle. Certainly not knee slappers. No, I think just like a smirk. This is from Musician, May 92. Bridges are my strength because I have so much material that doesn't make it into other songs, so it gets thrown away into my bridges. The bridge is the moment and song that can take you someplace new so that when you return to the chorus for the third time, you'll never hear it like you heard it the first time. The songs make certain demands and they take on their own personalities. It's like I'm creating monsters, like making the thing. They'll follow me around. I have some that hang around for years. The only thing Tori loves more than a bridge is two more bridges. <laughs> it's funny because I would say that bridges are her strength. Like she has a real knack for bridges, but something I have always noticed and I've never been able to put voice to or never thought, I guess, to put voice to is always in that final chorus, she does change it up a little, with like a note, you know what I mean? Or just like uh, holding out a word just a little bit longer. Like I'm thinking right now what's coming to mind is bliss, like how she just changes it slightly at the very end also and it just is mm -hmm. so satisfying it does feel like you've come somewhere you know you've gone on a journey uh yeah she does that a lot so good on you tori yeah good on we you. talked about this before but we kind of love this idea of tori having like a basement full of bridges yeah <laughs> that are just yeah. waiting for their moment and she's popping uh, them in and out trying to marry them to a song and finally she's like that's it i made the perfect monster and i shall call her starling <laughs> the thing yeah <laughs> Can you think of a bridge maybe, or a song that was maybe once just a bridge that she just like, it's still a bridge, but like, you know what I'm saying? 
General Joy. Does it have a bridge? I don't know. I can't remember. <laughs> I don't think it has a bridge. That's what I'm saying. It sounds like one big long bridge yeah. that's missing yeah. the rest of a song. Yeah, put, put a song and then another song as a bridge. What would General Joy's bridge be? Anyone in the chat room want to weigh Anyone? in on this? Oh, let's see. <laughs> Jason Silver says, basement full of bridges should be a fanzine. Mm. Something's going on with Humpty Dumpty. Oh, that's a giggle. Um, Dutchman's a giggle, yeah. Um, what's happening? Jack says he had a n- nice big fat cigar. It doesn't mm-hmm. look as appealing written out, Jack, as yeah. it is when she sings it. Doing it phonetically. <laughs> yeah. Um, don't forget, you can pop in any questions in the Q&A if you want to talk with us or be on the show about your ideas or thoughts on Little Earthquakes. You can put your name in the Q&A and we'll bring you on. But we're moving on with the quotes. Take this one from the Sacramento Bee, David, on May 8th, 1992. Suicide really bores me. That's just too easy. I was working on becoming an emotional limp custard. I was just really numb and I didn't know how I'd gotten to that state. I didn't know how I'd gotten from being five years old and really clever and happy and imaginative and open to this sad and needy somebody. It was like I was birthing myself. It was as if I was in a tunnel and I didn't know the end. It was the first time I really allowed myself to feel things, to really feel them as I was feeling them, not cutting them off, not trying to censor them, not trying to dilute anything, make excuses. I made a decision to stop being unconscious. And how you do that is you give yourself your keys to the unconscious room and you walk in and you go, what's up? And all the little monsters come out with their party hats. You got to fight for your right to have a monster. To have a monster. Thoughts on that? I think we all kind of identify with this idea of, you know, who we are as children and kind of losing, losing our sense of magic and mm-hmm. imagination. And I think Tori had to get there a lot quicker than most of us because of her talent and all the expectations that were put upon her. So in some way, she was kind of robbed, let's say, of a real childhood. Yeah, I think for sure. You're right. I think we all do. Ident- I definitely identify with um, losing or, or becoming more inhibited as I got older and then like that having an effect on me. You're inhibited? From the drum media, May 19th, 1992, Tori says, that's such an incredible separation of yourself, like your shadow side and your light side. You have to be able to call all parts of yourself back together or you're not whole. You're not complete. And you're always trying to find something to complete you, a job, a relationship, anything. And it's not going to happen. The only thing that can complete you is you. That's really resonating with me right now because I'm about to move out of my apartment. I'm about to like, I'm... I'm realizing like you have to be the whole, you you have to be completely uh, enough for yourself. Um, There are parts of you that are real childlike. There's a part that is really passionate and and then there's that part that's really domestic, really motherly or fatherly, protective. And why can't the motherly be passionate? Why can't the one who wants to hold the baby also throw her man up against the wall and lick him head to toe? I mean, why not? And then want to go and feed the chickens. Why not? Why not be Granny Clampett, but make it sexy? (laughs) Lick him and feed the chickens. Tori has been consistent from day one, though. On brand, on on message, right? This is another way of saying you got to marry those Marys, girl. Marry those Marys, girl. Yeah. She has a thing. We can we can identify two things already. Like, first of all, I hate that she talks so bad about her thighs. I don't see anything wrong yeah. with her thighs. And it really, it saddens me that young Tori had issues with her thighs. And I can never quite tell if she thinks they're too skinny or too chubby. And either way, whatever. But also, she clearly wants to lick a man head to toe because she, mm-hmm. <laughs> that pops up again and again yeah. throughout this album she cycle. She says it kind of a lot. Uh-huh. Yeah. 
lick him head to toe. Mm-hmm. Whatever. And then later, she kind of weaponizes her thighs in Cruel and <laughs> turns them into a musical <laughs> instrument. <laughs> Plays Haven't them in the we shower. All weaponized our thighs, though. <laughs> yeah, weaponize them thighs, girl. Uh, why don't you read this from B Side Magazine? June 92. When I note that Tori's a mighty brave woman, she easily replies, I don't really think about it in that way. When people come to see you and it's crowded and they're all sitting there and it's quiet, that's when I have to summon courage inside myself and say, hey, you wanted to do this. You wanted to sing these songs in front of people. You really wanted to. So just cop to that and stop being all this drama. With my stuff, it's not about the groove, so I can't really hide in that one. She got groove in her heart. This is is what David was telling me right before we went live. He's, you wanted to do this. You wanted to pod these pods in front of people. That was my self-talk warm-up in the mirror, too. Right. Stop being all this on, drama. I was like, why are you sweating so much, you stupid bitch? <laughs> you stupid bitch. <laughs> <laughs> um, you're all about that groove, David, though. Yeah, I'm all about the groove. In the Little Earthquake songbook, Tori says, My eye twitches sometimes. I was surrounded by the thoughts I smash. They decided I would be a good dinner. I decided I wanted three bridges in this song. I was obsessed with these quotes from the Little Earthquake songbook back in the day. They seemed so wild to me. And like, this is, this is art. I can't, I can't define art, but Mm -hmm. I know it when I see it. Yeah. Like I was surrounded by the thoughts I smash. And when she's talking about like her time loop and the cornfield from tear Mm -hmm. in her hand, I Mm -hmm. was like, damn. Yeah. The thoughts (laughs) wanting to eat her for dinner, like consumer, ah. Yes, so deep. I'm probably, I have a journal somewhere here that probably has this quote written in it. So I thought this was very, very deep. From Veronica, which I think is a TV show in the Netherlands, May 1994, Tori says, aggression starts where people suppress their feelings. At some point, those emotions force their way out and that results in all sorts of trouble. That is one of the themes in my songs. Holding things back and it just comes boiling out. It like has to go somewhere. Yeah. Or we've talked about this quite a bit on the show, too. When you repress something, it manifests in your life in a different, probably unhealthy, destructive way. So Why couldn't it be manifest in something positive? It like just you, can't. I don't know. Right. <laughs> You're right. Oh, God. This is a clip from UK Virgin Radio, February 5th, 1994. Uh-oh. I didn't link this one, so I don't. God knows what's going to happen. Tori Amos, you are a creature of intense passion. I'm passionate about human rights. I'm passionate about us being encouraged to think for ourselves and develop our own belief systems. And we're not taught that. We're taught to believe a belief system where they can manipulate us and control us. Whoever they is, those they, thems that run the world, whosoever they is, (laughs) you know. But it's not about us being encouraged to be whole beings. Because we we don't understand how to get to our pain. We don't understand how to heal ourselves, which I completely believe we can do. And it takes a lot of work. And that doesn't mean you don't have sad days. Sad isn't a bad thing. Sad isn't bad. Sad needs to be taken shopping, too. That's a precious, precious treasure to, to be able to feel that. Has there ever been an artist who personifies those feelings who talks like you have to sit down with with shame you have to sit down with sadness mm-hmm. has there do you know another artist who kind of another artist who speaks that way or who really kind of puts it in that 
perspective? Who likes to personify emotions like that? No, I, I can't think of another example. No, that's a very Tory thing to uh, do. Yeah, yeah. And I love that she says, you know, we're kind of taught sad is bad. And it's so true. Like if someone's crying or upset, we're sort of trained to like make it better or make it go away or tell mm -hmm. them to stop crying. Like we're all uncomfortable with that. But sadness is part of healing. And I wanted to say Sarah in the chat room also pointed out that anger is an important part of healing too. Yeah, For sure. Yes. I wasn't trying to imply that it isn't, but just that people always go right for that as if yeah. the only that's the only thing that defines Tori's music is what I don't really understand. But mm -hmm. yeah, I think too, because when you hear, when I hear Tori's music, especially, I mean, even back then, it was always so complex to me i couldn't have ever i never would have said like it always feels very complex to me you can't like just say it's angry or it's healing even it's not like there's a lot of things going on mm -hmm. so but yeah anger is certainly a huge part of healing in my experience what about yours yeah i'm still you know what i'm actually not great with anger that is one of my challenges which i'm really? willing to admit yeah it's not an emotion i'm comfortable with from myself, certainly not from others. So don't get mad. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> Fine. Um, from North Hills News Record, March 24th, 1994. She says, I believe music can change the molecular structure of the being. I know my being has been changed. I'll just not understand what is happening around me. And then I put some music on and it centers me. I can breathe and acknowledge stuff that maybe I don't want to look at. My life is committed to healing. I don't wake up and say I love myself and the world and everything about love. It's a very inspiring thought. But I think my gift is I'm good with a little toolbox. I can say for me to really love myself, I have to hold hands with hate and understand why I hate. Then I will understand hurt and also ang and also understand anger and giggles and joy and compassion and boundaries. And then I'll respect myself. Um, in the chat, there's a couple of other giggles. Uh, your mother shows up in a nasty dress was pointed out. Hum uh, we talked about Humpty Dumpty, arguably Dutchman. Uh, yeah, she does have giggles. Mm. Why don't you read this from Nomad? October 21st, 94. Even those things when you fall on your face, those aren't bad experiences. If you haven't fallen on your face, I really don't want to know you because you haven't lived. I mean, honey, that's part of my natural archives of those experiences. And I've got some archives. You have something to write about when you have lived and living is, you've got to try things. So when anybody tells kids being safe is very dangerous, safe meaning staying in one place, not experimenting with, do I want to do this? Do I want to try that? Maybe I should go there. You have to give yourself no limitations, and that's when you find out what you are made of. Thoughts? I think sometimes life is going to push you into those moments, whether you want it or not. And then, yes, absolutely, you find out what you're made of. And usually, kind of, I would, you know, like we're saying about YKTR, sometimes when you're in the midst of a struggle, you can't see what the logic is to it or purpose or why you're there, and you sort of push against it. But later, you can see that it served you somehow. Yeah, like in the moment when people say like time, time heals all wounds, it's kind of like shut the fuck up. Like right. that's not helpful. But then like on the other side of it, you're like, oh, all I needed was time and I'm healed. Mm -hmm. I think Tori has even addressed that in a song herself. Like don't tell I me peace and love are going to heal everything. Like yeah. give me peace, love, but also a hard cock. We'll have to explore that theme when we get to the choir girl season because she does talk about it a lot in the choir girl cycle about don't tell me that everything's going to be all right. Like mm -hmm. that's not helpful. When in the future, when we get there, you know, the we're just distant, on little distant future. Yeah. <laughs> yes, we're barely here. Um, from K N R K in Portland, Oregon, September twelfth, nineteen ninety eight. 
Tori says, I think that always wanting to improve is a good thing and knowing when you have it and you did a good performance and also knowing when you can do better. And I think it's really important to always know that. Like there are certainly times in my life that I can't recreate. The song Little Earthquakes, for instance, there's a song on every record, at least one, that I believe that's the take and I really can't improve. Then there are a lot of things that you think you can improve. And I guess now I'm trying to find that balance. The scary thing is when you don't think you can improve on anything or when you think everything you do sucks, it's this extreme. So sitting where I do now, I think you don't torture yourself as much, but you're not, you know, you don't have this delusional thing about thinking you're better than you are. And that was six years after. This is in 1998, September 12th, 1998. So... I certainly identify with, you know, getting to a point where you feel like you just can't improve. <laughs> but seriously, Tori's always been pretty candid about that. And there's a similar interview from 2009 where she's talking about, you know, sometimes on the day, all you get is good. <laughs> all you get is good. <laughs> Doesn't get any better than this. 14 years after Little Earthquakes was released, Tori took a look back at it in Rolling Stone on March 30th, 2006. You want to be the, rep- I'll be the reporter. You be Tori for once. Okay. The anniversary of Little Earthquakes is approaching. What's your perspective on that album now? It's sort of a way to time travel. I have incredible fond memories of that time, but I don't want to be there anymore. It's bittersweet in a way, although I can smile thinking of that time. I also remember an emptiness that I didn't want to carry for the rest of my life. Interesting. Um, it is. And Tori has said later, um, particularly, you know, when she has a family, that she laughs a lot more. And that she references the Little Earthquakes era, I think specifically, probably through Do Drop In, um, Boys for Paley, that she didn't laugh a lot or have much of a sense of humor, which is funny that she talks so much about having a giggle and a chuckle. Maybe that was all she could muster up at the time, <laughs> a giggle here and there. But overall, I think she kind of finds it to have been a painful time. Yeah, for sure. I, Jack brings up, Jack Foster in the chat brings up a really interesting point, which I never considered, which is he wonders if that emptiness was in the womb. By this point, what is she, 28? It's possible. Maybe, she, you know, she, even after this tour, she was talking about going away and having kids. Then she really right. talked about going away and having kids after the end of the pink tour, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yes. So we, we can at least track it back to after the 92 tour to her first quote of saying she wanted kids. So Mm -hmm. maybe it is, absolutely. Maybe it is an emptiness in the womb that was, I remember there's a quote somewhere. If anyone can find it, she says when she had Tosh, when she had her baby, like everything just settled, everything like changed. And Mm -hmm. it was, she was a completely different person, like instantly. So Mm -hmm. it's very possible. Yeah. Read this from rollingstone.com. December 18th, 2009. Coming out of a lot of miscommunication with friends and family and extensions of all that, where I think in everybody's life sometimes you don't know how you got there. You don't know how the meltdown happened within a group of people. Lots of finger pointing and I couldn't cope. And it wasn't my family this time. These days, sometimes friends are family and it was a group of us and I needed to pull back and relook at my life and who was in my life and the kinds of people that I wanted in my life and the kind of person I could be in a relationship where I wasn't able to maybe be what someone needed me to be. So I needed to be with somebody else who I could give what they needed. This was a real turning point in claiming what kind of life I wanted to live. It was a real beginning. I love this quote because during this interview, she's looking back again at Little Earthquakes, right? And she's talking about that time in her life and acknowledging that the relationship you have with your chosen family is some, you know, sometimes it's all you have and it's, we know she's written songs about breakups with friends like bells for her you know 
all of the songs about being on under the pink but like i don't know it's acknowledging that like sometimes friendships can end up combustible you know and sometimes like things go like it doesn't have to be a romantic relationship is what i'm saying sometimes mm-hmm. it can be you know you can really implode a friendship and that's you know that's inspiring part of little earthquakes as well mm-hmm. um you know and especially as we've gone through quarantine as we've been through this pandemic and we've all been kind of inside ourselves like we've learned a lot about ourselves i think in really good ways and really bad ways and so like our friendships and our dynamics have obviously had to reflect that and changed a little bit too and it's it's interesting like i i don't know it's interesting to me that she i've never because i never considered little earthquakes to be partly about friendships you know i never i was always just about this and like love but like friendship, love, family, your chosen family is just as important, you know? Yeah. And I think this is the most she's ever really addressed this song specifically, right? Mm-hmm. She hasn't said a whole lot about this title track. So this is really kind of a window into where she was when she wrote mm-hmm. it. And it does seem very personal. But I think over the years, especially later in her career, it became more about kind of universal conflict or turmoil and how when you're in a situation like that, you find out who you really are. Right. Right. Yeah, in that quote we played earlier from WHFS, the girl asks her, what, what's Little Earthquakes about? And Tori says, the song? And the girl's like, no, the album. And I'm like, ah, we'll uh. hear about the album for <laughs> decades to come. God, it's like asking for Sister Janet and then talking over it on the bootleg when she's describing what the song is about for the oh first time ever. Like, we'll That's never get that back. <laughs> That's true. Although... <laughs> I guess what I read about Sister Janet, it's funny that you bring up Sister Janet, because just yesterday I was listening to a podcast uh, that Alexander Leger Small recommended I listen to, which was uh, Cults about the Satanic Panic. And in that episode, or in it's a five-part episode, so in that series, someone mentions the Bible verse, uh, the woman clothed with the sun, or cloaked with Mm -hmm. the sun. Did you know Mm -hmm. there's a Bible verse? From Revelation? Revelations? Yes, I did know that was a biblical painting, yeah. (laughs) I mean, biblical oh. reference, and there is also a painting. My grandma would love so. you. <laughs> yeah, I forget. I keep forgetting you went Most to. Most grandmas do. <laughs> I keep forgetting you went to religious school. Yeah, <laughs> that you come from religious stock. Yes. How could you forget that I'm a minister's daughter? My dad really was <laughs> going to be a Methodist minister, though. Can really? you imagine if I basically like Tori and I were competing? I, <laughs> I'll never forgive him for not choosing that path. God, I can't imagine. Bullet dodged. No, just the opposite. I would say. Why don't you read this from In the Studio by Jake Brown, 2011? A good song speaks first to your soul, your heart. And when your heart isn't in the composing and you only work with your brain, then what comes out of it is dead and cold. To compose from the heart, you have to give it the chance to open up and react. When you do that, then the the piano answers back. That's a dialogue you can't force. When you don't have the patience to explore it, then it's the most boring instrument in the world. But if you spend a lot of time with it, you will always be discovering something new. I'll go, I'm going to write four different bridges for this song, and we'll see who wins the prize. And then it's like, what if I change this? chorus what if i just cut it in half that all happens sometimes you can't be afraid and i used to be of experimenting why do you think she was so afraid of experimenting maybe the years of rejection as a young musician trying out or maybe or maybe again because when she had tried to show up kind of authentically her experience around it always ended poorly so in some regard she didn't trust herself maybe yeah. Like she got kicked out of the conservatory and then, you know, her album fly. I don't know. So 
we're going to bring Jack in. Jack Foster is a panelist. He says he's an artist, and he, he says he understands this quote. So, Jack, mm. if you're willing to come in, we're going to bring you in real quick to promote you to a panelist. And you can give us your thoughts, please, on this quote. Hey, boys. How are hey, you? Jack. Hey, boys. Uh, hey, Eve. Hey, David. Hey, hey everybody. Hey. At home. Uh, long-time listener, first-time caller. <laughs> Actually, it's, you're not a first-time caller. You can't use that yeah. every time you call in. <laughs> um, Jack is the artist and designer behind not only our Digital Ghosts campaign, I guess, what would you call it? Like, logo branding? Brand package. Brand package, thank you. Uh, but all of our logos, everything that we've done. He also designed last year's Christmas card that got sent out. He designed a gorgeous Christmas card this year that we're going to send out. So look for that Spoiler. if you're a Patreon. If you're a, I know. If you're a Patreon supporter, you'll get that in the mail. Uh, it's gorgeous, Jack, by the way. All your work is amazing. So talk to us about this quote from in the studio by jake brown about experimenting this makes perfect sense to me because uh i am a um a visual artist and i work in watercolor uh so for me a lot of the um the how i know to create the piece and the actual making of the piece and um usually what the finished result is is this sort of like this thing that i understand the process of and that i i have a lot of control over but that is not the end of the piece. Like once you um, scan it in, it becomes a digital thing and there's a lot of things you can do to tweak it digitally. There are all these other other instruments that can come in later. So I think I understand for her, like a lot of the music, think about the first two albums for sure. Nearly all of those songs sort of begin, live and die on the piano. And then I, if she is thinking of experimenting as like, hey, this is stuff we do in the studio. This is stuff we do after you've made the song. I could understand her being a little, um, precious about it like no 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 that is the song and when you mm -hmm. add all these other things in you start to dilute or or to a certain degree the control that she has gets um diffused but then in another way i think like the the pure intention get like think of a pizza like i love cheese pizza cheese pizza is great which isn't to say that you can't add like pineapple and sausage and mushrooms and da 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 and you make another great thing but it's 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 i think a natural instinct to be a little protective of like but i just like tomato cheese and that lovely dough does that make sense yeah 100% and it makes even more sense when you talk about it in an artistic way because also Tori I'm thinking about the quote where Tori says like not that's not my world I don't mess with computers I have my keyboards like these keyboards so I, I'm yeah I, I see that like maybe she's afraid of it a little until 94 where she's like max it's a it's bitching what these things can do so maybe taking a tiptoe in May I build on that, what you yeah, just said? Of course, said? build on me. Because I think with um, uh, with Boys for Pele, she kind of, she establishes herself. She's established herself to herself. She has sort of had the control that she wanted and explored as deeply as she wanted to within, you know, she proved herself to herself. So anything yes. after that, you're not as afraid of other people's ideas because right. you have that confidence in your own. Of course, yeah, yeah. And also don't forget in Boys for Pele too, when the probably the very first instance in her professional career of like major experimentation right yeah that was side by side with who ended who was the love of her life so it was like they were creating something together so maybe it 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 changed the idea of approaching experimentation maybe it became about like them working together and creating something together yeah i think it's trust right like yeah i can yeah. trust these other ideas i love it thanks jack Hopefully we'll see you later in the day. Bye, Jack. Oh, I have a, I have a oh. Tory story for... Oh, yeah. Give it to us. About oh, no, no. Things. For later, for later, for later. Oh, for later. Okay. All right. Bye, Jack. Bye, boys. Everybody Bye, everybody. Bye. Jack. And it's as simple as that. If you have a little earthquake story you want to tell or you want to talk about it, just tell us in the Q&A. We'll bring you in. Okay. Read this from Resistance. Let me get into character. All right. 
For a long time, I didn't appreciate that for certain songs to show themselves to me, they have to trust that I'm ready to carry them. Some songs require a willingness for me to research the subject that makes up their core. Others will work with me only if I have personally experienced the emotion they are investigating. The weight of processing conflict can be off the scale. The wounds can run deep, and they most certainly did during the writing of Little Earthquakes. I've played this song on many concert tours in response to conflicts, and to look at my part in those conflicts or my reaction to them, no matter how painful. Conflict brings up so many emotions, some that may have been hiding in my blind spot. These feelings can be challenging to confront. Over the years, Little Earthquakes has been called upon to work through collective trauma. During 2017, she was requested during my Native Invader tour in order to help process the shock of a Trump presidency. After all, there are moments in history that intersect with us, and sometimes it is hard to gauge how these moments will translate down the line and how they will reverberate in our lives. I love hearing her talk about her actual work and how she responds to the work and what she's using the work for. I love, just lay it on me, give me the facts, right? Like, I play this to process the shock of a Trump presidency, and you're right. Like, it, it just gives me a clue, and like, she is playing these, that the songs themselves are changing for her throughout the years. Obviously, they must, mm -hmm. but it never occurs to me, right? Like, she's playing this in response to what's happening now. I don't know, like, how we taught, how you brought up that thing about girl in the girl episode and she confirmed it when resistance came out so yeah <laughs> yeah dear david confirmed you were it right. or stole it from us either or, or either or either or yeah. <laughs> but i feel like little earthquakes like the songs change meaning for her over time for sure mm -hmm. but i feel like mm -hmm. little earthquakes has always been that way it's a shapeshifter mm -hmm. this song depending on what's going on in the world it can always apply so yeah well, that's it for the quotes section, David. Look at that. We got through it. We are done quoting for Little Earthquakes, the whole album. Hmm. I can't believe it. Now we have our Little Earthquakes poetry contest. So we're doing this live here in this webinar here. So to participate in our Little Earthquakes poetry contest, you need to create a poem utilizing at least three words from each column or at least nine words from all the capitalized words in the Little Earthquakes booklet. Those are the capitalized words and I'm gonna copy them and put them in the chat right here. Those are the words. Those are all the capital words in Little Earthquakes booklet. You need to create a poem utilizing at least nine of those capitalized words. The first five people who send us their finished poem in the Q&A will get to present their poem and the audience will vote on a winner and the winner will receive a deluxe Little Earthquakes vinyl. The one that came out a, few, a couple years ago, 2015, is that right? I can't mm -hmm. remember. Yeah, already yeah. five years ago. That's crazy. God. Time flies. Um, it's time for another remaster. Poems will be presented in a little while here in the webinar. So hopefully people, I, it never occurred to me that what if no one participates? Then who gets the vinyl? I don't know why we thought they would participate. We had to stop doing it on the show because <laughs> no one was doing it. And you and I just do it for each other. So we can we do, do that, I guess. Think of it like refrigerator magnet poetry. So let's give them an example, David. Give me three words and I'll, I'll create. I'll create a master poem. Okay. Dog... Nine inch My dancing. Uh, well, give me th give me three other words. <laughs> Fine. God, white horses dangling. Like a dangling god, he he rode in on a white horse to save the day. I don't know. I'll give you three. See how Ready? easy that is. See. Yeah. See, anyone can win. Okay. Mexico moon proud. 
<laughs> you write on the spot. I get stage yeah, fright. I don't know. I went to Mexico and gazed upon the moon, and I never felt so proud to be at one with all that is. <laughs> the end. <laughs> I'm, I'm doing one for myself. Let's see. Sitting clever in my naughties while experiencing Ooh. happy haze, I felt the change that crawls under my mother's walls. Mm. Thank you. So everyone's takeaway from this should be that it doesn't have to be good. <laughs> just <laughs> Right. You just have to do it. It doesn't have to be good. Just do it. Yeah. Put it in the Q&A and then people will vote. And one of the first five people who do it will win a Little Earthquakes Deluxe Vinyl. If you don't need a Vinyl Deluxe edition of Little Earthquakes, then don't do it. Then congratulations. Your life is complete. Jack wants to know, can we add more words than the words presented? Absolutely. Add as many words as you want. Just use at least, let's reduce it from nine to use at least six of the little earthquakes words. You don't okay. have, yeah, of course you can use as many words as you want. Be as verbose as you can, but do this. Um, we're going to play a little cover now, David. Take a couple minutes to refresh our palate, to freshen up, and we'll be back. This cover is by Julian Ray. Shay says, I love this so much. <laughs> live cover of Little Earthquakes. We found this on YouTube and we'll link to it in our show notes at songsoftoramus.com. Um, we have four of the five contestants already. We have Andrea Adams, Jack Foster, Kelsey Hasty, 
Elise Pasquale. And the next person to submit a poem is entered into the contest. You will need to present your poem, but you don't have to be on camera if you don't want. We can just bring in your microphone. It's up to you. You let us know. But yes, um, we'll present the poem after the line-by-line section, which is where we are now, David. Oh. We have our fifth contestant, by the way. Sarah Claus made it in the nick of time. So Sarah, Jack, Andrea, I hope I'm saying that right, not Andrea, right? Andrea, Kelsey, and Elise, you're going to be battling for a Little Earthquakes vinyl. Thank you for participating. Yellow bird flying gets shot in the wing. This song is epic. It's cinematic. There's scope. It's like the opening of a film almost, right, with this imagery. Mm -hmm. I think it's quite different than anything else on the album. Yeah, it certainly begins with like a sky shot, right? It's interesting because I wasn't able, we have been so busy and working on this 24 hours a day that I was unable to dive into resistance and find the moment in the book. It's in the very first chapter. If anybody has resistance handy and can find it, that would be so wonderful. But she talks about the ribbons on the trees. By late March into spring, yellow ribbons flying from tree branches would remind us all of yet another day. The Americans were being held against their will. Every piano player across Washington would get endless requests for a version of tie a yellow ribbon round the old oak tree. And I thought little earthquakes. So what do you think she's singing about? Yellow bird flying. It's peaceful, right? It's someone mm-hmm. just kind of coasting and shot in the wing. Like <laughs> instantly that serenity is destroyed. Yeah. And um, there's just kind of an innocence to it. I think in something kind of being taken down in its prime unexpectedly when life kind of shows itself to be cruel right. and that it's going to have its way with you. Yeah. Good year for hunters and Christmas parties. So when life has its way with you, as you said, when life is cruel and takes you down in your prime, I understand that with the line f- about the hunters, but how, why do you suppose that she's linking this to Christmas parties? To me, these are two kind of extremes. A lot of this song to me is about a willingness to experience life and to truly be alive. And there's going to be the good and the bad. There's going to be kind of the struggle and the triumph. And maybe she's setting that setting that up here with sort of juxtaposing hunters and Christmas parties, Mm. like something you have nostalgia around or positive memories around, but also kind of being hunted or shot down by something. I never thought of it that way too. Like it's always seemed to me, you know, especially when we've gone through the quotes and she says like, why I would be at a party and want to kill this babe. And I had to Mm. like figure out why something about good year for hunters that will, cut you down in your prime and also it will happen at christmas parties where everyone's being so polite to you but they Mm -hmm. secretly want to kill you they secretly are trying to cut you down as well so i've never felt like those christmas parties were like safe places these particular christmas parties were safe places um it just is like you've uh, Sarah Claus put it beautifully right here in the chat where she says christmas parties are also something that a lot of people are forced to smile through you know, and Maria as well. Madge says, Madge says Christmas parties can be fake and awful. Yes. 
And it can be stressful when family gets together and you have all these big personalities in the same room and conflict arises. And not to get too literal, but speaking of conflict, Tori has acknowledged that this song is about kind of a fracturing of relationships and specifically friendships. So it's not Mm -hmm. completely out of the realm of possibility that maybe something happened at an actual Christmas party. Some kind of heated discussion or argument. Who knows? Yeah, she seems, you know, there there are a couple times where you can pinpoint something to like actually having happened. And because of the Mm -hmm. quotes where she's like, I'd be at a party and I'd want to kill this babe. Mm-hmm. I feel like something happened here. Maybe mm-hmm. maybe it was a Christmas party or wasn't, but I feel like I feel like that's called directly from her life. A lot of nog went down and shit happened. And I hate and I hate and I hate and I hate David, what you said earlier that I rejected, which was for myself, which was how you're she's juxtaposing hunters and Christmas parties, like one's the good and one's kind of the bad. I feel that with elevator music and the way we fight. I feel like they both are so, because obviously she's a talented musician. Obviously we knew that from the get-go. And I felt like maybe elevator music is something that grates to her. That's something that she can't tolerate as well as the way they fight. It's the same, it's like accessing the same irritation or the same, you know, I don't know. There's something that it's like two opposite sides of a coin coin that affect her the same way is how I saw that. Mm. To me, elevator music is another way of saying something basic or there's an element of inauthenticity or having sold out. And maybe in some ways she's sort of acknowledging the YKTR experience that she became a version of elevator music by not being true to herself and she doesn't want to have that experience again. I love it. Hank says, I think she also had to work a ton of Christmas parties at the, as a piano player, seeing all the fakeness and people being covertly cruel to each other without them realizing she saw what was going on. Mm. And Maria says, also she must have gotten sick of elevator music at hotels from all her work at hotel bars. Oh yeah, absolutely. Those two things. Um, Elevator music is forced on a person, forced happiness. Just, you know, elevators are really traumatic experiences or traumatic places to be. Like when you step on an elevator, this is truly, I would put this at the top of my like intolerables. If I were to make a list of my intoler, my intolerations, is that a word? Um, Would be being in an elevator with someone that is having a conversation with someone else and they do not have any consideration for the fact that you're being held hostage. Power of Orange Knickers held hostage to their conversation. Like, I don't want to, I like, you are not the center of my universe. I have my own thoughts that I'm like, I'm trying to think right now, you know? Yes, I do, because I have seen it play out in real life. One of your triggers for sure is any sense of being held hostage by a conversation you don't want to have. Absolutely. It's so, it's mind numbing to me. Elisa is using in the chat the word banal. Like, yes, it's like this banal conversation that I don't need to be, it's mind numbing. I hate small talk. I know. Cashiers of the world, beware when you see Eve come and do not try to engage him. Um, yeah, small talk. You wouldn't, you'd be surprised to know that considering we have a three hour per episode podcast. It's all equally devastating in a way. Yeah. Mm. My perception is probably colored by my own experience here, but there's always, if, if you're having, you know, an argument or a conflict or a fight with someone, sometimes you don't always say what you want to say in the moment or kind of defend yourself or stand up for yourself um, or push back. 
and then you wish you had done that after the fact, or maybe you did do that and the other person walks away and then you're just kind of left with your own thoughts and the aftermath of whatever this, whatever this was. So either way, it's not great. Life is precious, but also fragile as our relationship. And sometimes the tiniest rift can rip things apart or you pull one thread in the tapestry and all unravel. So mm -hmm. sometimes you don't know how strong you are or your relationships are until they're tested, right? Agree a hundred percent. And also it takes so little to rip you into pieces. It takes so mm -hmm. little to, to, it takes the littlest tug on that thread to really unravel mm -hmm. everything. If you don't know you, it just is so, I don't know, there's something about here we go again. Like, it feels like to me that she's tired of it. And like, the song is about putting a stop to it. And that's how it feels here. Like, here we go again. I don't know. There's something about, what do you think about here we go again? Yeah, I agree with that. There's a sense of I'm going to break this pattern or this cycle and make a different choice mm -hmm. this time. Knowing what I know now. Yeah. And even the, oh, like, she's so over it, right? I feel that just in the way she says, oh, I'm so over falling apart here we go again it's it's self it's about herself right it's not it's not even about the fight to me like here we go again for some reason i've always read here we go again is reflected back at herself what do you think yeah and i think it's kind of critical and a little biting even but also self-deprecating like really is this little thing really gonna shake the foundations of our relationship or who I am? I thought I was made of sturdier stuff than this. Mm -hmm. Maybe I need to reassess that. Yeah, everything is so fragile. Everything we're just kind of hanging on, mm -hmm. right? I still look at it as, even though I really do look at it as the royal we and the royal us, like she is talking about herself. Like we, we, me, we will be ripped into pieces at the littlest provocation. But this next we to me is. We danced in graveyards with vampires till dawn. So we danced in graveyards with vampires till dawn. Has she ever written a more Halloween-y line <laughs> than Dancing Graveyards with Vampires Till Dawn? I was really pushing for that to be incorporated into the marketing for you this were. event somehow. And you were like, no, I don't think yeah. so. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, you absolutely were. And I don't know why I rejected it. <laughs> I know why I rejected Strange Little Ghouls from both you and Jack. I was like, are you two working together to get me to call this party Strange Little Ghouls? You have to start somewhere. We're just spitballing ideas. God. Strange little ghouls. No, You're okay, like Tori herself. A work of art is handed to you in all its perfection, where we have to workshop a little bit. We don't all get a Bells for Her or a Marianne. Sorry. <laughs> First of all, I guess I'm going to ask, is this a positive thing to you? I think so. And yeah. this is kind of a similar sentiment to me as you were wild. Where are you, Where now? Are you now? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Like maybe we were this group of iconoclasts 
and these mm-hmm. wild kind of artists in our 20s and yeah. now some of us has sold have sold out or yeah. we're not friends anymore or but yeah. remember back in the day Yes, this definitely speaks to me about the friendship, the word that she's talking about, imploding friendships. This definitely speaks to me about a group of people uh, that are very close, that it's not just about like a singular love or even just about herself. But we danced in graveyards. Do, do you remember doing that like or feeling that way when you were in high school or when you, you know, when your friends were the most important thing to you in the world? Uh-huh. Yeah. And when you don't necessarily have a place to go, you just like find a parking lot. Yeah, hang out. Or, we danced in graveyards. We did not have a cemetery. Yeah, we danced in on Tory tour with Door Dotson till dawn. Till dawn. <laughs> and then we got in the car and drove to the next show. We laughed in the faces of opening acts. <laughs> never afraid to rush. Right. <laughs> never afraid to rush to the a front. stage. We laughed in the faces of. You said something earlier in this broadcast about that line. We laughed in the faces of kings, never afraid mm-hmm. to burn. We were never afraid of the consequences. We were young. We were invincible. Um, we had it all. The world, we had everything at our feet. The world, the future was mm-hmm. ours. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that also kind of takes me back to the quote we read kind of about young Tori. That like at five years old, she had it figured out. Mm-hmm. And she kind of had a belief system in place. And she was also like very spiritual and kind of had an idea of who she was at an artist and was maybe even kind of conversing with these beings and had a wild imagination. And then all of that kind of went away as she was Mm -hmm. beaten down by life and expectations and power structure, all of that. Maria says that she loves that line. It's like we partied like crazy. Yeah. We were so Mm -hmm. free. We, yeah. I hope she's not slapping at the cure with this line. <laughs> Clearly she loves disintegration and the cure. Yeah. <laughs> Question. See, Jack's got it. Maybe she hates the cure. Could be. <laughs> Question for you. Do you think that she hates disintegration watching them with her or disintegration and mm. watching us with her? This is one thing that you are so good at is kind of cleaving a phrase in two, whereas I've always processed it as one continuous thought. But you're like, what if the line break occurs here and it changes the meaning? (laughs) Yeah, I have great cleavage. (laughs) You do. I've always said that about you. Thank you. Um, yeah, I hate disintegration watching us wither. Like even I don't I mean, I don't know. Is it just because if you follow the pattern from the previous chorus or the previous pre-chorus i hate elevator music comma obviously the way we fight because those are two separate thoughts so you would assume that disintegration and watching us wither are two separate thoughts but are they and because it sounds to me like one it always has and i hate disintegration watching us wither but they're also i mean it doesn't matter because they're disintegrating is what she's saying right yep she's listing things in my opinion here okay what does she hate? Disintegration. Watching us wither. Black winged roses. This t- speaks to, I've had like, I've had, you've, being in, not necessarily in the same way, but I think being in, working in theater, you're sort of trained, you sort of grow up with having eight week friendships, eight week really close friendships. 
and then you move on to the next play and then you're with a different cast and you have another eight week really intense experience, you know? So you build these like brief, intense friendships. So I always feel like friend groups are changing in my life, you know? Um, you of course have your solid friends that you're always together with, but, or that you always know and you always go back to, but I feel like I've been in situations where you're powerless to stop the withering or the disintegrating. Right. And I hate like just the dread that that brings is like, okay, we're not as mm-hmm. close as we used to. And like, it's, mm-hmm. it's kind of awkward. And I really feel that as a comment on the prior dancing in graveyards with vampires till dawn, you know, it's like, maybe that is, it's changing now. It's like never mm. going to be the same. And I like the word choice here with both disintegration and wither. it's a gradual process, right? Mm-hmm. It's not something that happens in the moment there and maybe that again does speak to kind of relationships you forge when you're younger and you just naturally grow apart as you get older and figure out that you're different people and you kind of mourn the loss of that relationship and there isn't always a reason why someone sort of moves out of your life it just happens Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. elise in all caps says and disintegration and watching us with her she's team and she's a very decidedly team and I look to Elise. You must pick a side. (laughs) Um, (laughs) You got to know what you believe in. Do we have any botanists? I have never looked at this line as I do right at this moment until you said what you said earlier, which is people who sold out in her life. And Jack says phony people. It never occurred to me that that is what that is, right? Mm. Mm-hmm. Obviously, that's what that um, is. And 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 sort of exploring this with the theme of friendship, exploring this under, you know, all of, like a group of people, of course, resenting people who are inauthentic, making a name for themselves in that way, in like the music mm. business or a friend group of mm. of professionals, someone who is doing what you want to do which you know you're better at, but they are having much more success with it for whatever reason. And their ideas, they're are crap. That's why I hate the podcast, This American Life. <laughs> I've never really read this as a read either until this moment. To me, it was more so just kind of like acknowledging someone as being like a chameleon and being able to change their color to kind of navigate or survive a situation. Mm. But that it's kind of a criticism in this regard that you sold out or you changed who you were to survive. Yeah. So. To survive? You look at it as to survive? Or to That's be, or to chase success or whatever right. it is. I see. Okay. Yeah. I see. Because black-winged roses implies that this person was dark, was mysterious, had a lot going on, had a lot of uh, interesting black-winged roses. What are black-winged roses? I was going to say, do we have any botanists in the room? Is there an actual variety of roses, a black-winged rose, or is that just something poetic that she's using to describe what you're saying? Yeah, because I know, I mean, she's not saying black roses. She's saying black winged roses. Mm-hmm. Or mm-hmm. maybe they were like on an ascent. If it's an artist, maybe they were on an ascent on, like there were rose on black wings. Black winged red roses. Black winged. Mm. You're thinking black roses, aren't you? Are you? Am I? Yeah. No, I'm thinking like of a deep, <laughs> if you really want to know, I'm thinking of a very deep red rose where the edges of the petals have kind of like an even deeper black line to them. Yeah. I've always uh, thought of black roses 
black winged roses. You're right, probably mm-hmm. though. She's not saying black roses. She's saying black winged roses. Elise mm-hmm. says that black roses are unnatural. They do not exist in real life, but they exist because florists dye them. So uh, Kelsey says, I always thought of a red rose that was decaying and becoming black. Ooh, that's good. Mm, that um, is good. So someone pretending, and Elise continues to say, so someone pretending to be deep or mysterious, but it's fake, a front. Oh, they've just been dyed. I love that. Here we go again. This song needs three bridges, right? Like, you get the sense that this cycle, oh, these little earthquakes, here we go again, has been happening for generations or for a thousand years inside of her, right? You Mm. get that sense that it just, it is a constant cycle. It's like, oh, here we go. It's like, there's not much variation to the chorus. Like, there's, I mean, it's a chorus, but you know what I'm saying? Like, it just feels like... And with the music, it just feels very cyclical. And it feels very like it could keep happening forever if she doesn't smash it and then smash Mm. it again and then really make sure it's dead by smashing it a third time. Cyclical. And there's something we said ceremonial at the beginning of the show, but it sounds ancient Mm -hmm. almost. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. With the chanting, the low chanting and all that. So these are as printed in the booklet. I can't reach you thrice. Yeah, again, fractured relationships or people changing to the point where you actually can't communicate with them or mm-hmm. understand each other at all. What do you mm-hmm. think? Yeah, absolutely. Like you used to have this thing. You used to be, uh, you used to have this connection with a person. You used to be able to uh, understand them, know them, even non-verbally, and now you just mm-hmm. can't break through. Mm-hmm. There's like, yeah, something's mm-hmm. changed, absolutely. But it's interesting because that is a thousand percent what I've always thought of this in my life, or how I've always thought of this in my life, um, or the song through the years, until I was listening to All the Little Earthquakes live in the last two weeks, um, because she eventually locks in, I can't reach you, though I feel you in my head, and it's mm. never changed from that though I know you're in my head, though I feel you in my head, that changes it to me. Like, is she trying to access parts of herself? Like, I can't reach you. I can't reach you, the woman that wants to throw the man up against the wall and lick him head to toe. I can't reach you. But I know you're in my head. I can't reach you. I feel you in my skin, she sometimes says, too. And so it's like, I feel you in my blood. She says, I feel you... Having listened to all of them, she said, I, she's said, I feel you in my blood, I feel you in my skin, though I know you're in my bed, which we'll play later, which I love that one. Uh, but she's like, so I feel like, I used to think it was about like, you can't access this part of someone else anymore. Um, but now I think it's about herself all. I think you're right. And I always feel like for me anyway, I know when you hit the bullseye, I get like a little chill of like, Ooh. yes, recognition. And that is, you know the truth Ooh. when you hear it, Eve. Oh. I know my truth and you have spoken my truth. I do Speaking. think she's talking about herself. And that's like more powerful and profound to me too. We have a quote from 
Ur, Netherlands, March 7th, 1992, about that line. Um, and she says, I practically didn't touch a piano for like seven years because I thought there was no use. The music I wrote back then was completely different. I did all kinds of stuff and you wouldn't believe it was me. This new record is a reaction to that. I had to do these experiments to be able to go back home to the piano. I was a rock chick with yeets. I was a rock chick with yeets under my arm and hairspray in my back pocket. When my album flopped, I decided to drastically change and to listen more to my inner voice. Hmm. Give me life, give me pain, give me myself again. Like, I don't want to, I would rather play forever in the <laughs> Marriott Hotel piano bar playing with my dignity, my own stuff, than playing this, you know, than failing with someone else's stuff or failing at being something I'm not. Yeah. And this is a mantra. Mm-hmm. This oh, is an yes. invocation. She is calling for her soul at the corners of the world. Girl, you're right. I never, I, it never yeah. occurred to me. You're so right. Mm. Yeah, this is like the Ho'oponopono prayer. <laughs> this is like, give me is, life, give me pain, actually. give me myself again. I'm going to, every morning, I'm going to start chanting this one instead. <laughs> and to me, this is also kind of, you could pair it with, you say you don't want it, the circus we're in. Mm-hmm. Like, if you're going to say yes to your life and being fully present, you're going to have, you know, this variety of experiences that are going mm-hmm. to make you who you are. And mm-hmm. some of them are going to be painful, but you can pull yourself out and live a half life or you can say yes to all of it. Yeah. Yeah. That's the way they're printed in the book. Are there other, and then of course we have the chorus where everything changes because we have the bridge, those three bridges. And then it's like, literally like, uh, you feel like she's released it. Right. Mm -hmm. These little earthquakes, Mm -hmm. like she's exhausted. She's been through hell. She's been on a journey she slayed you feel i feel like she slayed the demon with those three bridges right mm-hmm. yeah yep and then in the final kind of the final uh. chorus it's almost yes do you remember you know the movie aliens where ripley never blows seen the it. queen alien what never seen it never seen all it. right well we're gonna pause this and go watch <laughs> aliens and then come back anyway so gordon weaver blows the alien queen out of the airlock and then she's climbing up dramatic music playing to like close the airlock before she gets su- sucked into space and she does and the doors close and then she collapses at the end like that's what this is to me really <laughs> that was a long way around it but yes Someone no, in the right. chat room will know what I mean. Jack, right. Jack, are you there? Um, that, <laughs> that's why I think we both responded. Like, I cannot see this not being at the end of the album. Like, being in the middle is is wrong. That would be insane. Yeah. So now it's time to present our Little Earthquakes poetry contest. Okay, we're going to yeah, present our Little poetry. Earthquakes poems. You ready, David? I'm ready. Contestant number one is Kelsey Hasty. Kelsey Hasty wrote a poem and sent it in first. So Kelsey, I'm going to pull you up. I'm going to bring your voice in. Let me find you. Kelsey, get ready. We're going to allow you to speak. You have to present your poem. Get ready. Can you hear me? Yes. I had no idea I was going to have to present this poem when I wrote it. Surprise. (laughs) Um, Here we go. Let me find it. Okay. I said, here I cry under the bluebells while boys change on white horses. In a sense, it's not the weather, but the moon. Ooh, I love it. Okay, that's one more time. Let it really sink in, people. Close your eyes, listen. Here I cry under bluebells while boys change on white horses. In a sense, it's not the weather, but the moon. I love that. Thank you, Kelsey. Thank you. Bye. Bye. 
<laughs> that was the first poem. That was contestant number one. We're gonna. I'm gonna name that. Here I cry. Okay, Andrea Adams has a poem. We're gonna present hers next. Andrea, are you ready? Can you hear me? Yes. Okay. Cry for my country, my mother earth and her moon. In a sense, it's more clever. Oh wait, where's the rest of it? <laughs> right here. Okay. Dangling in the haze with the Dream King. Amazing. Read it again. Everybody close your eyes. This is contestant number two. <laughs> Cry for my country, my mother earth and her moon. In a sense, it's more clever. Dangling in the haze with the Dream King. That one's Cry for my country. So number one is Kelsey. Thank you, Andrea. Thank you. Okay, bye. Bye. <laughs> bye. <laughs> So the first one was Kelsey, Here I Cry, David. The second one is Andrea with Cry for My Country. Third is Elise Pasquale, but we got to scroll up in the chat to find her poem. Let me, <laughs> this chat is hopping. This chat is like a meet and greet. All right, Elise, get ready. We're going to bring you in. I'm going to copy it in the chat one more time for everybody. Oh, she did. Okay, there. Okay. <laughs> All right. Let's find her. We're going to allow you to talk now. Can you hear me? Yes. Hi. Yep. Oh, well, this poem was inspired by, you know, the coronavirus, the times that we're in. And um, no, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> uh, okay. So here, here we go. Heart haze under a cherry tree. She melts me, darling Mexico. Down dancing days with Barbados breath. The color cracks, the change, but nothing is easy. Oh, I love that. Okay, close your mm. eyes, David. Read it one more time. Okay. Heart haze under a cherry tree. She melts me, darling Mexico. Down dancing days with Barbados breath. The color cracks, the change, but nothing is easy. I love that. Thank you, Elise. Me too. Darling Mexico, I am not your senorita. <laughs> I love all of these. Okay, so we've got Here I Cry by Kelsey. We have Cry for My Country by Andrea. We have Heart Haze by Elise. Now we have our fourth and only male identifying, I assume, contestant at this moment is Jacques. Jacques. Can you hear me? Yes. How are my levels? Not too wet. Yeah, you're pretty wet. Um, I, I submitted two. Which do you want me to read? Oh, I didn't. The first one, because I didn't see the second one. And the second one came in after deadline. Uh, <laughs> um, Billy crawls under bluebells, buries his heart. Nothing here. In a sense, dancing clever under the hazy moon. Ooh. Thank you. I'm Joe you... Mitchell. <laughs> erotic okay i feel despondent eyes. after that okay. <laughs> like all erotic things okay yeah close your eyes not and in read touch it with to my us. sexuality <laughs> read it again jack billy crawls under bluebells buries his heart nothing here in a sense dancing clever under the hazy moon mm. thank you jack thank you vote that blue was- <laughs> that was Billy Crawls. I have problem every time I hear the word Billy. I don't think of Billy and Precious Things. I think of Billy and PJ Harvey's Come On Billy. Like, come, come on, to her. Billy. Get come it together. Sarah Claus has the final poem. Are you able to chat, Sarah? 
Okay, great. She can. Here we are letting her in. Present your poem entitled, Nothing Here is Easy. Hello. If you oh. have it, um, you might need to put it up for me because I oh, don't know sorry. what happened. Yes. There we go. There it is. <laughs> Technical difficulties, darling. I'm in the car. <laughs> oh, okay, great. Can you see it? There she is. There God you go. bless you. All right. Mm-hmm. Here we go. Nothing here is easy, mother. Not here, not ever. Not even the weather can change what the cracks don't seem to show. Courage doesn't run. It crawls through the ruins of Barbados, and the boys dispatched from the Dream King can't even stop me from ripping pieces. Oh, wow. Let's close our eyes, everyone, and read it to us one more time, Sarah. Nothing here is easy, mother. Not here, not ever. Not even the weather can change what the cracks don't seem to show. Courage doesn't run. It crawls through the ruins of Barbados. And the boys dispatched from the Dream King can't even stop me from dripping into pieces. Beautiful. Thank you very much. These are amazing. I feel like we're writing Tori's new album for her right now. <laughs> like Did she say the other day, in? like... Yes, Moccasin. She was saying the other day, hopefully a new album in 2021. Now she's like, I'm willing to say there will be one because it's 50% done as of today. Uh, <laughs> God. Um, yeah, ho- like that stuck in my craw. Hopefully in 2020. You have a whole, 2021's a full year. <laughs> like, what do you mean? Hopefully. She's not going to commit to anything. Did you guys hear that yesterday? It was in that thing yesterday. Okay. Anyway, we have contestant number one, Kelsey Hasty. Here I cry. Number two was... Andrea Adams, Cry for My Country. Number yep. three was Elise Pasquale with Heart Haze. So one was mm. Here I Cry. Two was Cry for My Country. Three is Heart Haze. Four is Jack with Billy Crawls. And five was Sarah with Nothing Here is Easy, Mother. And I'm struck by just how creative people can be like this. And it's when I was a, when I was a teenager, we would do these uh, poetry contests where you would like we would have 10 words and you would make a poem out of the 10 words, which is how we came up with a little Earthquakes Poetry Contest or Le Poetry. But now we're going to put up a poll in the everybody can see the poll. And let me. We created the poll earlier, so we didn't know the contestants' names. So you're voting contestant one, two, three, four, or five. I should have put poem one, two, three, four, and five, because you're not voting on contestants. You're voting on the poem. So there's the poll. And we will keep the poll up until we get 50% votes. And like America, like the United States, you can vote for yourself, I guess. What if Biden, just to be fair, voted for Trump? And it came down to one vote. I know. I'm ending the poll. Boom. All right. We do have a winner. And that winner will be revealed at the end of the show. How exciting. Um, We're going to reveal the winner. And we're going to announce the winner at the end of the show. And that winner will receive a Little Earthquakes Deluxe Vinyl that came out in 2015. So congratulations to that person who I already know who it is. So (laughs) we're going to take a little bathroom break. Dave, if you need to run in the bathroom, go feel free. Um, We're going to play Yontas. (laughs) We're going to play Yanta's cover of Little Earthquakes right here.
Well, we got her on the line. I am here with Elise Pasquale, who when I think of Little Earthquakes, I think of Elise. So she's gracious enough to do our show, and this is a little after the live show. So hi, Elise. Hi. How are you? It's great to be here. I'm doing well. Um, you attended the live show. What'd you think? I loved it. It was fantastic. Oh, good. It's You're currently right in the middle of it. <laughs> Um, so you tell us your Tory story. We don't know anything about how you discovered the music, how you became so devoted to the music. Tell us everything. Well, it, if you rewind the clock a little bit back to 1992. Ooh, just a little bit. <laughs> just a tad. Uh, it would have been the summer of 1992 because I was, I think at that point in time, I was a CIT, a counselor in training Ooh. at a at Camp Susquehannock for Girls <laughs> in uh, Montrose, Pennsylvania, which is close to Binghamton, New York. I love that. Yeah, so I was up there you know, teaching a little bit of horseback riding and things like that. And a good friend of mine from home, we used to work together at the mall, she sent me a tape, a mixtape, as one did in 1992. Mm -hmm. And on the mixtape was the song Precious Things. <sighs> That oh. was the introduction. That is a good mixtape song. That is that is an excellent way to get to know Tori. Yes. yes. I think that was even more so than Silent All These Years or Crucify. Like having Precious Things being the first song that you hear, that, that like settle you you are either a fan or you're not. At that point you're like you're devoted for your whole life. Yeah. Or you're helpless. Or you're hopeless. Or both. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> so tell me, so you, you listened to Precious Things and then you went out and got the album or were you like, who is this woman? I have to hear more. Who is this? I have to hear more. But being that I was at Camp Susquehannock, that was pretty much my, how much I could hear until I got back to civilization. But, uh, <laughs> I was in school. I got the, you know, I got the singles, the albums, everything. I was, I bought everything that ever came out. It was back in the day you would go to the store and just see if anything showed up, like a random bootleg or anything in, in the CD shops. And I, I got the first show that I saw was in October at the Keswick Theater in Glenside, Pennsylvania. October 92? Yeah. Wow. And I can't remember if it was October 21st or 22nd. It was a Wednesday. There were two shows there. One was one night, one was the other. And it was a Wednesday that I went. And... So it was either 21st or 22nd. And I just got into that seat. It was the 21st, by the way. You should celebrate it yearly, Elise. I should. <laughs> I think we, we, we passed that point, though, this year. So we have to. That's true. We'll have to wait till next year. <laughs> mm -hmm. That'll be fun. Uh, yeah, so that, that was my mom had gotten me the tickets because, of course, they went on sale while I was in high school or was that junior high at that point? I can't know. I was high school, right? I was 16. Oh, yeah. So, um, yeah, so my mom had to go get the tickets back when you had to go to Ticketmaster. And I was, she got me fourth row seats and I was beyond excited about it. And That's yeah, it was one of those situations. I went by myself. My parents dropped me off at the theater, went somewhere to have dinner kind of thing. And I got into that chair and, and just, first note just burst out in tears and cried really? the whole way through yeah hysterical oh people were like passing me kleenex <laughs> i love that and of course i waited out back afterwards and got to meet 
Tori, and her dad was handing posters out from the trunk of his car. Really? He really was. I know that she said it, but... My mom and dad waited so long that they, they, uh, their battery died in the car. Ah. <laughs> so they had to get somebody to jump them. I was like, I'm not leaving. I'm not leaving. <laughs> but yeah, it was great. She signed posters and we talked. And, and even then, John Witherspoon yelled at me for taking up too much time. <laughs> So it was like definitely started something from there. the very beginning, <laughs> from the very beginning. But she was gracious and wonderful as always. Of course, she did little earthquakes, right? I actually don't. I remember sugar being really prominent. I don't remember a lot of the show because I was hysterical throughout the entire <laughs> show. Wow. Um, I remember the the position where I was, where I was sitting. I can I can picture her on the stage, and I could picture. You know, she was wet when she was dressed in the denim jeans, the the rope belt, that kind of style. Yeah, yeah. Tank top. Um, I bet being that close to her, so young, it must have felt just like overwhelming too. It was it was really overwhelming. Uh, yeah. And I never had that reaction before. And I'd seen a bunch of concerts. Like you know, I I saw, I saw Tiffany. <laughs> I was hip man. Yeah, it was cool. No, uh, I saw a bunch of concerts. I lived by a little tiny concert venue a lot of third-rate bands came through (laughs) but this was the first time that you know something had struck me so deeply and and then I was I mean a devotee from the beginning yeah and it only it only grew in 1994 I saw I got to see two shows because she was doing two shows in a a night Mm -hmm. then so the late show and the early show in Mm -hmm. Philadelphia Mm -hmm. and then and then once I was off to college in 1996, there was no one to tell me that I couldn't go to all the shows. <laughs> and <laughs> so I just so kind of got in my car and, and I just went. And I in 96, I managed to get to about 15 shows. Wow. Shows from college without failing out of college. Uh, wow. That's a big, that's a huge feat. <laughs> yeah. So that was, that was really, that was where it all took off. And then it only, it only got bigger and crazier. And 98 was the first year I went to Europe and wow. I did the UK shows. All of them in 98. Is that where you met my love, Peter Doyle? It is. I did. And actually, I met him on day one because I showed up. It was like, actually, not all of them, but I showed up in Plymouth. I went from Plymouth through the end of that UK tour. So I can remember now. Plymouth, Portsmouth, Sheffield, Nottingham. Um, if I'm be- I don't know if I'm missing. I feel like I'm missing, but I do remember. Plymouth, Portsmouth, Sheffield, Nottingham, London. So take me back to the girl from Camp... Susquehannahan. What was it called? Susquehannock. Susquehannock. I can't believe you can remember that from when I just said it once. Susquehannock. Um, Take me back to the girl who hears precious things, gets back into civilization, buys, obviously, buys Little Earthquakes, and how you fall in love with the song Little Earthquakes. I I don't know where it was when I, when that song became... Your anthem? It did. I When I was working, I remember I did associate it in some ways. And looking back, even the, even like the line, we danced in graveyards with vampires until dawn, you know, it, it reminds me of that sort of carefree time when I was 16, 17, mm. you know, working. My friends were weirdos. Like, we are all weirdos. That's sort of the thing we, we would do, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So... It, we worked at the mall, but then at night we were just, you know, crazy teenagers that were a little bit 
alternative in the 90s. <laughs> a little bit goth, a little bit baby doll dresses and chokers. Yeah, a lot of black. A lot of black, lace. And rice fans. You know, <laughs> like, we, we, it, just, it just reminds me sort of of that time and place. But I think that the song, it's, and I always loved it, but I don't think it became a, something that really became an anthem for me until a little bit later, perhaps. Mm. I think I, I found myself drawn to it, but I think that it was when it sort of became more relative to going through tough times or different mm. trauma, different kinds of traumas or losses that were so, I guess the song for me, it's, if something is so traumatic that it makes you go numb in every way, it's sort of the idea that you're sort of begging for yourself in a way that you can feel again. Oh, wow. That for that, for me, it's like sometimes things can go so numb or I can withdraw so much that hearing that song, it's like it brings you back to the present, it brings you back to yourself, and it sort of allows you to put a foot in front of the other and continue and and grow instead of sort of fading away. Mm. I but love that. I love that, that interpretation. And I find that whenever I've gone through really difficult times in my life, that that song has been like almost like a a family member it's very comforting and and i feel like it's always been there for me so it's it's very much a, it's got its own persona it has not that much to do with tori herself i get that and do you feel like because you know you said that you sort of gravitated towards the song later after you'd had your own personal hardships which we won't get into but do you feel like when you go to that song there is because there is such a there is such an upward trajectory to the song you know where then you get to the climax and then finally you have that sort of resolution at the end do you feel like you follow that song in working through a problem with it i do absolutely i think that it's it definitely allows you to it 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 does it it allows you to sort of examine yourself but then also find yourself when you're getting lost it's when it keeps it's the thing that i I can't really put that into words as well as i'd like to no i get it i I think we all get it because of the song i mean we know um and then kind of like when you have you know unexplicable or unexplainable connections to objects or to things you know that comfort you like a comfort blanket or a comfort stuffed animal or even a comfort animal or a support animal I, i understand that like it's less to do with tori and more to do with the song and like and i think that in some ways there's some i have i can think back to several times even seeing the song live well for me seeing the song live is just the most potent way to experience it but it's mm-hmm. also, it reminds me of how, you know, what people get out of going to church in a lot of ways. And yeah. you get that sort of heavenly connection without sounding like a little too kooky about it. But I feel like there's, it's sort of a connection to a higher power within that song. Mm-hmm. And I've experienced that, like I, I had mentioned to you before we started recording that said so there was a, one time I heard it like in Lowell, Massachusetts. I'm like, I don't know when it was, but it was Lowell. And, and we figured out that was in 2002. And I probably asked for that song at that point. But it's just like something just struck me when I saw it. It just like it struck me to the core. And I think, oh, another time that it was so, so, so important. And I was with it was in Glasgow 
and it was snowing. It may have been the same tour. She had played it the night before, which so I was like, oh, I'm not going to hear it. And I showed up and I had a letter that I had written sort of on the plane that was like, can you please play this song? And it was before I knew she was going to, because you, you fly overnight. I flew overnight from the East Coast to get to the UK. And she had played it when I was on the plane. Uh. And so I got there, you know, and there was no, pre, no pre-show meet and greet at that point. It was called out and whatnot. And so I still had the letter that I was going to try to get to her after the show at the, at the post-show meet and greet as, as they had those days. So I had the letter with me and I remember sitting next to Matt Page and I was just like, I think I had gone through something a little tough and I was just sort of disillusioned. And I was like, well, oh, this really sucks because like that song is the thing that kind of pulls me back and she'll never play it. And she played it again, like uh. two nights in a row. I could randomly, no requests, no nothing, like <laughs> no, you know, it was like out of nowhere. And I remember, I remember exactly where I was sitting. We were in the ninth row. And mm-hmm. uh, it's just that like, it was so important that that, to me that, that I wanted to hear it so badly. And the fact that like, how often does she play songs twice in a row that yeah. are like that? Like I mean, that's not like song, precious yeah. things, you know? It's like, yeah. yeah. So that so, was like, it was so crazy. And then I gave her the letter. I said, this whole letter is about wanting to hear the song that you just played. <laughs> well, so um, thank you. <laughs> but she goes, oh yeah, you know, it was, it wanted to come. And, and I love the way that she makes you feel yeah. good. Yeah. That You know, she knows, you know, whether it wanted to come or not, like she made me feel like it was special. Yeah, for and sure. And it was... It was really nice to hear. Was Lowell 2002 the first time you requested that song? No, or- I requested it in, in, I was very, very much wanted to request it in 2001 uh-huh. um, in New York. And I only saw six shows that year. But yeah, so I, I asked her for that the first night and she played it the second night. I saw all three shows that tour in New York. And it was, that was really special to hear that. And I, I think other people had asked her for that as well. So it's sort of like a, the pressure was coming from different angles. <laughs> I, I, love, I love when other people request Little Earthquakes because it makes me feel less, I feel like at this point in time, I've been asking for the same song for like 20 years. <laughs> and I feel like she looks at me and she's like, what's your problem? <laughs> no, she, she gets it. She knows you. And she I'm just like, it's so, I'm so predictable and so boring. I'm like the most vanilla... <laughs> I, I can't I'm like everyone's like oh I want to hear this crazy thing that she could play you know I'm like I'd like to hear little earthquakes ma'am 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 can you play little earthquakes ma'am ma'am <laughs> <laughs> tell me now now that 22 29 years have passed Jesus since or 28 sorry 28 years have passed since you first saw Tori in concert um do you ever tire of the song no are Never. you kidding me hell no Oh, no. That, that, first of all, the words give me life are tattooed on my mm. back. Oh. Um, yeah, that was a 2003 tattoo. Wow. But, uh, yeah, I, I never get sick of it. In fact, the last tour, this is going to sound, I'm like, this is my really, like, deep reveal personal thought here, was that when Tori's voice went, when she was ill, I had this kind of, like, revelation at the Phoenix airport with Mary Kirk. And like, I'm like, I'm never going to hear Little Earthquakes again this tour. Like, I'll never hear it. Like, she'll never, she can't, no. her voice, she can't get it. Her voice can't get there. Did, and did she, but she did though, right? At the end? Um, She did. I, I request, as usual, I requested that. I requested Concertina, which is another of my 
favorites and I'm like, look, I know that you probably can't do these songs, but, and the fact that she, I was so shocked that she pulled it out. I was so happy to hear her voice as strong as it was at the end of that tour when, you know, I was just like, I'll never hear it. And it was just, it was like losing a friend or it was like losing yeah. a puppy. I don't know. I yeah. thought I was like devastated that I wasn't going to hear this song that I've obviously heard dozens of times in, in the last 28 years. But it never gets old for me. And I mean, I, I don't mind if it, if she played it every day. And, and then that I was mentioning to you back in the doll posse years, I think it, I think it's really interesting that the song became a Clyde song because like, I didn't really like Clyde. <laughs> like Clyde was my least favorite of all of the dolls. Why? And a lot of people say that. Funny, duddy, boring. I thought she was so boring. Like <laughs> She's such a sad girl. So yeah, she was a bit depressing and a little bit just confused, I think. Just take the hair out of your face, Clyde. <laughs> I know, right? Like I just, I couldn't, I didn't identify with Clyde at all. Like I was like, yeah, Pip. And, and even like, Kooky Isabel. I was all about the lamp, lifting that lamp. I loved it, you know? But then it's like Clyde, Clyde with her depressing songs and her, she's so sad. But then, like, and I don't consider Little Earthquakes even a sad song. I think it's, it's a powerful, yeah. like a power, get your, you know, get the spirit, let the spirit move within you kind of song. But then Clyde took up Little Earthquakes and then I was like, on team Clyde. Like, I'm like, hey, I'm Clyde night. I'm yes, it's a Clyde night. Clyde was epic. Clyde turned epic. Clyde also threw <laughs> her shoes. And once Clyde threw her shoes, then I was like, I'm a, I'm a Clyde through and through. Because yeah. <laughs> Clyde is angry underneath all that sadness. She's got a lot of anger. Yeah. Elise, whenever I hear the song, I think of you. And I'm so happy that we were able to get some time aside with you in the middle of the live show. So thank you so much. This is the only time you've ever gotten with me. Oh, <laughs> we did sleep together in a, or sleep, sleep next to each other in Newcastle. Do you recall? In different hotel beds, but still. <laughs> when, it, when I say it that way, it sounds cool. <laughs> Good times. Okay. And would you do a tour all year? Because I'd love to hear more tour stories. Oh, yeah. I would do that. I'd love, I'd love to talk about Perfect. tour. I have so a lot. Start, I have a lot to say about tour. Start looking at your tour stats because we'll have you on our next tour all year. Start looking at your okay. tour stats and, and do, get your tour recollection on. Maria's done really, it. It takes too much time. Oh, my gosh. The thing where you <laughs> click, you have to, like, click next to all the shows you've seen. That takes, yeah, like, hours. Tab- I know it does. And I then stopped you- counting 10 years ago. I, I, I know that the last <laughs> time I counted, I, I hit 200 when she was still touring with a band. Oh, my God. Well, I don't actually know how many shows I've seen. And I'm Wow. Uh, can we get an intern? Do you have an intern? <laughs> Can we get a social media intern? I'll, I'll open up an application process. <laughs> Elise, thank you so much thank for being you. on the show. and We'll talk again. Bye. Bye.
That was a cover by Yanta. You can support him on his Patreon page if you go to patreon.com slash Yanta. He creates, I think has created every, an instrumental version of every Tori Amos song at this point, right? Is there any yep, that are left? Yeah, and just like us, he's going back. Yeah, and <laughs> redoing songs, I think. Redoing all, yeah, doing it all again. Mm-hmm. Um, if there's any musicians in the house that want to come in and just chat a little bit about that, feel free to put it in the Q&A. But if not, that's okay, too. We're not musicians either. I do want to say, Eve, we've accomplished the two, or I've experienced the two moments I look forward to every episode, which is when you say something that gives me that bullseye of truth <laughs> that I know I already mentioned, and when we listen to Yanta and we hear Tori's composition and all its stripped-down glory, and I realize that whatever song we're talking about is now my favorite song of all time and <laughs> how amazing Tori is and how much I love her at the end. And I got both of those, so thank you. Yeah, I think it's, I mean, it's very purposeful that we put Yanta after we've you know, had our own thoughts and heard each other's thoughts on the line, you know, on the lines and how we've interpreted it lyrically, because I feel like that's the moment where we're just like, I'm hearing it again for the very first time. And just hearing it stripped down like that supports like that feeling. So yes, Yanta, amazing. Um, I'm gonna, I'm willing to say at this point that Yanta is Tori Amos. Like what if it, yeah. what if this is, what if this is Tori's side hustle, like her YouTube page? Like what if she is, like what if she's just, like she couldn't get label support to do just her entire catalog instrumentally so she's doing it on her youtube channel and she, i'll just call myself you're not tori amos and they'll believe me and no one will they'll know. never know <laughs> and now we're at the live section little earthquakes has been performed by tori amos at least 292 times live in concert and i have listened to all that have been bootlegged and I will present you with a top 291. I wrote that joke, David. That's the one joke I wrote for this. I'm sorry. Because <laughs> it felt like, as Settle I was listening in. to him, it felt like 291. Should I give it again? Should I deliver it one more yes, time? Yes, please so you can... do. I'm sorry. Yes. She's performed it at least 292 times, and I'll be presenting you with the top 291. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is the first time we have the song in a bootleg recording and this is from london january 30th 1992 and she gets heckled she gets heckled at the begins So let's talk about that, David. The nerve. Uh, the nerve to heckle Tori Amos. So this is a quote from that exact incident. This is from Vox UK, April 92. She says, in London now for, or they say, in London now for almost a year, she slogged away playing ill-attended residencies at the Mean Fiddler. The These Shaw Theater Nights are all important dates for her. The first headline shows and a showcase for a handful of America's most influential journalists flown over to whet their appetites and paved their way for a U.S. launch. You didn't bother to dress up then like you did for Wogan. Booms a persistent heckler from the Here audience. Here comes the Rockney. Breaking. <laughs> Rockney! Breaking no. the silence. Tori gives him, breaking the sirens, Tori gives him a middle finger. I've been playing here for 15 years, honey. I know you. He persists. He does persist later in the bootleg. I think we even have played it. I think it was leather that he persisted on. Um, he does persist, and she sh- shoots him an 
she shocks him into silence by launching into the opening lyrics of Leather. Look, I'm standing naked before you. Don't you want more than my sex? The audience Did applauds. Did that shock him into silence? <laughs> he, she shocked him sane. Shocked him sane. <laughs> Actually, it does because you know what? Neil, Ga- Neil Gaiman even talks about this moment of like being at her, the first show he ever saw her do, which must be this show where she was heckled coming on stage and heckled by someone like talking about her legs, which was during, you know. Um, mm-hmm. Anyway, who would heckle? Who would heckle? Like, it's just gross. Men are disgusting. No comment. Okay, I have fine. No argument there. Yeah, no. Speaks for itself. <laughs> this is London, April second, nineteen ninety-two. This is a little bit later after she's done a, a few more shows. She comes back to London and she gives the song her all. Give me I love that. I think that is fucking brilliant. And the fact that she puts that in between, oh, these little earthquakes, and here we go again. It's like you are witnessing the storm, the earthquake brewing inside of her. You're witnessing mm. the ground like starting to shake and like her losing it. And I love it. I love it. I love that, too. And at the, be- at the very beginning of that, it almost sounds like she lost her way. Mm-hmm. And it's like covering it, which may or may not be true. But regardless, it turns into something really powerful. And that's one of those moments where when she gets that tone in her voice and she really goes up, it's almost too overwhelming for me to take. And I have to like, no, I know, I can't. I know. It's too good. It's too much. Ah. Yeah. yeah. Like I'm, yes, I'm those girls in the rain DVD or in the rain VHS that are just like holding their chins <laughs> and just like shocked into silence. With your sleeves pulled down yeah, to yeah. your finger. You're just, oh, <laughs> yeah. The, uh, that's me. And this was Toronto, April 92. There was a thing happening in Little Earthquakes where there was some buzzing in the monitors and she started talking about Robert De Niro and Cape Fear being in the monitor. <laughs> Get shot in the 
sort this. There's a buzz happening everywhere. I told you I dislocate fear. This is a very real thing. <laughs> I don't know where So, what do you think it is? Is it in the house or in the monitors? Ian? Yeah. Is it the house or in the monitors? Did you hear that buzz? Yeah, it's Robert. It's Robert. Is it Robert? <laughs> On July 31st in Chicago. Oh, we're going to play this one. Oh, get ready, David. This one. This one makes the cut. Don't even start with me, girl, because I know what you're doing now. I want to talk about something. I want to drop a bomb. <laughs> I don't know if it's a bomb. It's my opinion. Um, she talks about how she's at a restaurant and someone was whispering to someone else about her saying, look, that, that girl's a laughing stock. There's that. Then she talks about Christmas parties and wanting to be at a Christmas or wanting to be at a party or being at a party and just wanting to kill that babe. And she had to figure out why she wanted to kill that babe. My guess is that in the interview, she's taking a little license. My, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna guess. I'm probably way off, but I'm gonna guess that that didn't happen at a restaurant. That that happened at a party, and that that girl is the one who said it, and that the girl, don't even start with me, girl, because I know what you're doing now, is either someone in that moment in July 31st, 1992, that reminded her of that girl, or she's going back to that party mm. where that girl said that mm. she was a laughing stock or something. So I feel like, mm. you know, Tori's kind of shrouded it a little. That's what I feel. Yeah, my first Boom. impression was that it was directed at someone in the audience. Oh. Especially, at, we know she loves to call people out, especially at the yeah. beginning when she was kind of riffing on Little Earthquakes. Like, it sounded like musical discipline. Tori's oh. version of musical discipline where someone was like too chatty or ordering drinks and she's like drawing attention back and then yeah. don't even start with me, girl. It's 92's Lady you're in the doing. White Shirt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, in 1994, she played it eight times that we know of, but obviously more. But that's a drastic drop from the first tour, obviously. And she does that. When she plays a lot, a song a lot, the next tour, it might not show up at all. 
So I'm not surprised with that. We The ones that we have are pretty standard. Nothing really changed, and there were no real improvs even within the lines, so we didn't pull anything from 94. 96, she performed it by far the most on any tour, and she performed it 88 times on the Do Drop In tour. There's no bootleg from the first performance, but there is a boot from the second performance, and we're going to play that here. That's Exeter, England, March 11th, 1996. Robert De Niro returns. Um, I think there's Robert De Niro in my speaker. Do you remember that movie? Um, come on, what is that movie? You know the one where he goes, Ah, oh, little girl, I'm gonna take you home. He's so disgusting. What is it? Huh? June 10th, 1998, in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Oh my God, I have to play this because she does this sometimes in this song and it is extremely appealing to me. It is, I I love this. She does it occasionally, she doesn't always do it. But when she does it, I die. I live, I live. I was talking about the musical triplets. The diddly, diddly. Mm-hmm. She does that sometimes. I love it every time. Um, she does. Oh. And you know, you never know exactly what version you're going to get when she goes into the bridge. It can go either way. She can really pound it out or she can do what she just did in that one with, it's a little more plinky plunky mm-hmm. right before I can't reach you. So, <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is uh, my favorite bridge of all time. Um, and I've listened to all of the surviving recordings. So this is just my opinion. But it's my favorite bridge of all time. Uh, musically, musically, not lyrically. Musically. This is um, Oakland, California, July 12th, 1996. I understand what the saw is when I hear that guitar grinding mm. under that. And it almost sounds to me like she kicked on the Leslie cabinet. It really does. Oh, yeah. It feels like there's so much drama in the piano. Like, there's so much of that sound. I feel like she's kicked it on for some reason. I, and I, I've i listened to it so much. I know you probably can't hear it as clearly here, but you'll hear it in the episode. Um, 
It just sounds to me like she's kicked it on. I don't know why. That was amazing. But it just seemed like there's a lot going on. She kicked on the Leslie cab, then accidentally Caton's wailing. <laughs> the Tallulah backing track kicks right. in, and there's like pin, pinwheels going off for no reason. Like, what's happening? Right, right. We've the Not the, the Red Baron here. video starts playing. Planes crashing. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So this is Buffalo, New York, 28th of August, 1996. Caton breaks a guitar string. Classicating. San Antonio, Texas, October 27th, This is, of course, The Rain Benefit, January 1997. January 23rd, 1997. We're going to play this one. We have a video for it. trying not to cry in the audience at every show. <laughs> like looking, everybody's like, why you look so pissed? I'm trying not to cry. Bite your lip. Um, she performed it 88 times on the Do Drop In tour, and then on the Plug Tour performed it only 28 times. So obviously it was a tour staple the year before, the tour before, so a few fewer times. Um, this We'll play this one because it's the first time. Actually, we'll play the last time she performed it with the band because that's To Venus and Back. Columbus, Ohio, on November 29th, 1998, made it into to Venus and back. And then once she nailed it, she, she never played it again on that tour, which was only like three more shows. 
shut away just like you are again implies that she's talking to herself like act parts of herself mm. that she's shut away mm-hmm. that she's closed the door on um the fucking band version of that is so good <laughs> you know it really just is the, she did not perform this solo at any point on, on this tour Blunt. no Right? It was no. always a band song mm-hmm. when she trotted it out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She trotted it out in the middle of the tour in July 1998 in Detroit. So, you know, about halfway through, but still really, really great. Always with the band. Mm-hmm. 28 times on the Plugged Tour. In 1999, in the five and a half weeks, and to Dallas and back, and solo tours, she performed it eight times. And this is Salt Lake City on October 10th, 1999, the last time with Caton. <laughs> In 2001, on the Strange Little Tour, she performed the song 13 times. David? 13. Lucky 13. Here's the first time she did it solo since 94. This is New York, New York, October 10th, 2001. David, I've tracked down the first time she hit that, you know, the first time she did that ending differently and how she does it today. So, and it was Indianapolis, Indiana on October 25th, 2001. And I think she's in the middle of a bridge and she hits a note very differently than she's used to hitting it. And I think that affected the end of the song. And I'll play these two different moments. So you understand what I mean. I think the attack on that note maybe threw her just a touch because the whole ending, she's doing vocal acrobatics and we Mm -hmm. get this ending for the very first time, which she's pretty much stuck with consistently a version of this ever since. So I think simply hitting that note differently opened up a whole other world to the ending of that song mm-hmm. for her. Mm-hmm. When, yeah, which she hasn't let go of. And it does sound, that makes it more ritualistic and ancient sounding to me too, like a call for prayer. Yeah, 
Yeah. The way she, yeah. Mm-hmm. That, yeah. <laughs> I uh-huh. love that. I love it. Um, that New York clip that we just played, um, the first time she did it solo on the Strange Little Tour was Elise's request. So thanks, Elise, for bringing it back to mm. the people. I'm, you know, you're always afraid that something's going to live in her mind in a certain way that you'll never see it again in another way, you know? Like, it could have been very possible that this was going to live in her head as a band. It was so good with the band. Like, she'll never do it solo again, right? So thank God for Elise. Thank you, Elise, yeah. for bringing it back to the people solo. Moving forward, because we're running out of time, David. This is Boca Raton, February 20th, 2003, uh, on the Scarlet's Walk Tour, on which, on that tour, she did it 22 times. It never hit staple again, though. Like, it was staple in 98. Mm-hmm. Possibly, it, we, we don't even have confirmation. Well, it was a staple in 98. It's in 92 because of what of the set list we have it was like on 95% of them so mm-hmm. um, it never hits staple status but I have to play this I know we're running out of time uh, I have to play this this is the drum work the fucking drum work from Matt Chamberlain and Tori this is why this is why this is Boca Raton the first time she played it on the second leg of Scarlet's Walk Tour the first show and this listen to their play listen to them play together beginning of the song that is like boom boom you feel like the the pre-quake you feel like something the rumbling and then he just Mm -hmm. let it out with those you know he didn't even do that in 98 just he found that in on scarlet's walk those Mm -hmm. like it it makes you feel like the earthquake's happening and it makes it it so satisfying at the end it's bombastic oh god i love matt chamberlain on drums (laughs) god i love him okay um on the very separate and distinct Lot of Pianos tour in 2003, she did it six times. Let's say six or eight. Six. Let's say six. Six. We're not going to play any of those. On the Summer of Sin tour, she performed Little Earthquakes 15 times. And here is her performance from July 10th, 2005 in Istanbul, Turkey. Or I go be mommy for many days straight. So normally I'm mommy. And music person, music lady. She goes, mommy, music lady. Now, tomorrow night, no music lady. Just mommy, mommy this, mommy cook, mommy dance, mommy watch Mary Poppins, mommy play cards. So, thank you for letting me be music lady tonight. On American Doll Posse, as Elise points out, it was a staple on the a Clyde staple on the American Doll Posse tour. So if you count how many shows Clyde did, it probably was at most of them. Um, however, as you, I don't know if you know, but it was always on the bootlegs as cl- the legs and boots. Everyone was Clyde, but she did perform it once as Tori in the Tori portion of the set on November thirteenth. No, wait. I, on the first time she did it on that tour was Tori, but this is Clyde on November 13th, 2007 in Charlotte. Take it away, Clyde. <laughs>
On the Simple Attraction Tour, I don't know how to pronounce that city, David. I feel so uneducated. On October 8th, 2009 in Zabriz, Poland, Zerbze. That's the last time she ever did it with the band. <laughs> Job J. Job J. Thanks, Elise. Elise is the international foodie. Foodie International, find Elise. This is from the Midwinter Grace's Summer Tour. Makes no sense still. Ten years later. September 3rd, 2010, in Moscow, Russia. This was later released on From Russia with Love. She performed the song solo on Night of Hunters, not with the quartet. She performed it that nine times. It would have been amazing. Could you imagine them like doing the rumbling, like making a whole That would other be some sawing for realsies, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Missed opportunity for shoes. Uh, nine times on the Night of Hunters tour, zero times on the Gold Dust tour, and 21 times on the UGG tour, on the Unrepentant Geraldines tour. And here is one performance from the Norwegian Wood Festival in Norway, Oslo, Norway, June 12, performed this song to date was on December 1st, 2017 in Los Angeles, California uh, on the Native Invader Tour. She did it 10 times and this was the last time and we're going to play this here. Most of us were probably there. Yes. Give me my, give me my cell phone, give me 
Sometimes it doesn't always translate to video, right? But you hear the way the audience applauds when she reaches the climax of the bridge, when she reaches mm-hmm. the end. You know that they were feeling like, oh, like they had slayed the demon, slayed the dragon. And so. Yeah, and she's feeding off that response too. Yeah, because she sure. even adds a few grace notes in there to mm-hmm. account for the energy in the room. So, mm-hmm. God, even the last time she did it, it was stunning. Oh, uh, God. We miss tour. <laughs> Maybe we'll tour again in 2025. Who knows? Well, this is the part of the show where we say our goodbyes, and we know that because we wrote goodbyes in our notes. <laughs> yeah. So this has good been a great ye- good time. Yeeb- yeebies? Good yeebies? Oh, ooh, good eebs. Good eebs only. <laughs> good yibes only. <laughs> David, this has been so much fun. Actually, I think we should do every episode live now. It's just... We can. No, I mean, we can. We should. We can um, do it at least on Zoom. Yeah. This has been so much fun. I have had a blast. Digital Ghosts, I think, is off to a great start. If you're listening, if you're still here, we're gonna about to announce our poetry winner, and they're going to receive a Little Earthquakes Deluxe Vinyl. Um, but if you're here and you have nothing else to do for the rest of the day, please join us at all of our other events. We have a trivia contest coming up. Then we have an interview with Lauren Haynes uh, talking about some of his most iconic Tory photographs. Then we have the costume contest judged by Madeline Hatter from Dragula, The Space Babe, New York City staple, and TV's Joy Nash, who starred in Dietland, has been in Twin Peaks, and lots of other things. Is a close personal friend of mine. Um, it's going to be so good. And people can still register, right, Eve? So absolutely. if you see and that your friends aren't here or you think this would be fun for someone, tell them they can still join. And Mary Kirk Pollard, don't forget, tour staple. Sorry, I had to get that in there as well. And yes, they can still register. Absolutely. You don't need a costume, but I would prefer it if you had one. You could throw a blanket on yourself and be a blanket friend. You could grab your laptop and be a computer bat friend. What, could they, what else could they do? Go high concept. You could be a baker twice. <laughs> um, what? <laughs> wear, two ba- wear two aprons and yeah. you're Baker Baker. Come on. Oh my they God. may love that. The judges may love that. And we really want, please do come to the costume contest because we really, we, we uh, Madeline Hatter and Space Babe are huge Tory Amos fans. And they yes. put together so they two incredible it. performances. They're, they're, they're your people. So please come out. Um, Mary Kirk, we love everybody. We love Joy Nash. We love. So, all right. Well, I guess that's it. That's it. We did it. We made our way to the album. All right. We're going to reveal the results. The winner is Sarah Kloss, contestant number five. What was the name of her poem, David? It was Nothing Here Is Easy, Mother, Except Winning and Writing Poems. Nothing Here Is Easy. Exactly. Nothing Here Is Easy, Mother, Except for Winning and Writing Poems. Sarah, please email us your address. I'm sure we have it somewhere, but um, please email us your address and email it to songsoftoryamus at gmail.com. I'm writing your name down here uh, as the winner of the Little Earthquakes final, and that will be shipped directly to you. Um, We love shipping things directly from the supplier because I hate going to the post office. I'm really bad at going to the post office. They never fail to hold you hostage, that post office. (laughs) They always want to chat. God. 
Um, well, this has been great. Thank you, everyone, for being here. Thank you so much for coming to our very first event for today. Thank you, everybody. We'll see you at the next event. Trivia contest, that's going to be great. Yes, it is. Get ready. Bye. Get ready.
Drive All Night is a production of the Sideways Society. For more information and links to things mentioned in this episode, please visit us online at songsoftoryamis.com.